created by a destiny, fulfilling a destiny funded by the belief, the belief that at the king of the ring, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm sick of hearing about the beliefs of the warrior. The king has belief. I believe that I will beat you. The ultimate warrior battles Jerry the King Lawler. I am already the king of the jungle. Now I'm going to be king of the ring. You're looking at the next king of the ring, Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Nothing is going to stop this man from being the king of the ring. He's going to mow you down. Expect Jake Roberts to leave his mark somewhere or somebody. The crowning of the WWF king of the ring. I've destroyed the Undertaker. The baddest man has to walk the World Wrestling Federation. Mankind, your tormented soul will soon be mine. The Undertaker battles mankind. Return match with a smoking guns. Sonny, you have filled your ducks to bad water. We beat you once, we took the ducks. And it won't be a problem to beat you again. The smoking guns battle the Godwins for the WWF Tag Team Championship. That's the most revolting thing I've ever seen in my life. Get it out of there! I'm at Johnson Will this time. Ahmed Johnson battles gold dust for the Intercontinental title. I'm disturbed because I got ripped off. I should be the champion. Mr. Perfect Rip. <laughs> you got the referee you want, so you won't have any excuses when I tune up the chin music and kick your teeth down your throat. Shawn Michaels battles the British Bulldog for the WWF Championship. Tonight, it's the greatest card ever in the history of the WWF King of the Ring. I've got the I've got the window open in this room because it's fucking boiling, um, but I think there are people who have been on it since about well I woke up at about seven thirty this morning, and there's okay. some people in a garden just over there somewhere that are definitely on it already. So, wow! Mm. Again, excited for the England game. I either that or they've had an extremely heavy night that's still continuing. I don't know, but either way, either way you can blame them. Well, hopefully, if they have had a really long night, they'll be giving up in the next hour or so. Exactly. So I'm planning on putting my TV outside this afternoon. Wow. <laughs> so I, can't, I, can't, I, t- I did a test run yesterday, and I must say it was magnificent. And I can't tell if it's the height of sophistication or absolute white trash. <laughs> Straddles the line somewhere in between, I think. No, I, I think, think it's gone right over the line. <laughs> yeah, I, I think as well that you're not white trash. So you can get it away and be like, oh, we're living al fresco now, darling. <laughs> and then someone goes, here, look at them. They got our TV outside just like us. Excuse me. It's called al fresco. Who's he? <laughs> Alan Fresco, you say? <laughs> I've heard of Alan Tabernacle, but Alan Fresco. <laughs> Go on, Tabs. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, yeah. Do you reckon that's one of the people saying, excuse me, we're trying to have a little party down here. Do you want to like... <laughs> you want to keep it down? Yeah. With your fucking podcast, you pricks. Yeah. <laughs> you be, be chatting about wrestling, mind. Have we yeah. also, sorry, I don't know if we've missed something. Have we Have we been made aware yet that Gorilla Monsoon's the new sheriff or whatever his position is? Sheriff? Oh, you matter if he was just walking down and asking us chaps. Do you reckon he'd be, if he was Sheriff, would he be like Stinky Pete in Toy Story 2? The Prospector. No, because that's not a Sheriff. Anyway, moving on. Um, (laughs) Reach for the skies!
Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we go back 25 years to a simpler time when our only real worries were who was going to win the two major tournaments of that summer. Those being, of course, Euro 96 and the King of the Ring. Joining me today is a man who can be regularly spied on the streets of Bristol, walking around and every couple of minutes cheerfully repeating the mantra, Come on, England! It's fair to say that nobody is as patriotic as the Lord of Glencoe, Sam Kerry, at least during a major international football tournament. Welcome to the show, <laughs> old man. Well, thank you very much, Ben. A lovely uh, a lovely intro, and it is true to say that uh, I've got my face painted as a George Cross today, and I've also got, I'd be bollocks done as well. <laughs> Amazing. I kind of want to see that. I don't, but I kind of do. It's one of those things where you see like a horrible picture, and you, you just can't help but look. I kind of want to see it. When, and when he says uh, George Cross, he doesn't mean the St. George Cross. He means an angry picture of George Harrison painted on his face <laughs> and his bollocks. <laughs> or dare I say, George the Animal Steel. Oh. <laughs> I think, to be honest, most of our bollocks already look like George the Animal Steel, if I'm honest. Um, and also on the pod, you've heard his voice already, Tom Smith, who, though he does claim to be the Duke of Kidderminster now and again, has no real connection to royalty other than a brief dalliance he had with the third Viscountess of Moldavia, Lady Natasha Letitia, Sarah Jane Wellesley, Obstromsky, Posmosky, Smythe, 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 Oblomov, Doblomov, Dob. Tom, how are you? I'm very well. And in fact, I'm not actually uh, in the studio on my own today. I'm joined by Jives, my Batman. <laughs> Good, good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with that. I'll tell you what, more importantly, the fact that I've forgotten that I'm doing the game today, I was really panicking about where I was going to get a bottom reference in. You teed that one up for me beautifully. Well, you're not doing the game, so don't worry about it. Okay, that. <laughs> and today we are, of course, covering King of the Ring 1996. Uh, I don't know, what, what do you want to call it? A historic? Maybe not quite historic, but certainly a very significant pay-per-view in WWE's history um, and we'll get to all of that and why it is in just a second but to get things properly kicked off today I obviously need to make my obligatory nudge in the direction of our social media channels at UK is the place to go on many different platforms of which Twitter is probably the best place to start now let's get your overall expectations going in old man let's start with you this is our first step into 1990s WWF since our 11th episode. So 13 wow. episodes ago, which as a side point, maybe this made me realize that we've been doing this almost half a year. And the listeners True. are not only not sick of us, but they seem to be growing in numbers. So I thought we're only correct to acknowledge that apart from us three, they are the most important part of this show. So well done, <laughs> listeners. But back to this. So the King of the Rings always something I enjoyed. Always enjoyed it when I was growing up. Because to quote Brock Lesnar, that famous philosopher, it is the tournament of tournaments. This also comes on the back of obviously 1995, which is when King Mabel is crowned. Now, whilst King Mabel is nothing compared to that guy who looks like in Viscera, he did get a main event at SummerSlam out of it. SummerSlam! When did I say it like that? I'm going to stick with it. Um, yeah, so it, it feels important. Obviously... I know what happens in the actual King of the Ring. But the show around it, couldn't remember Bugroll, so I was looking forward to it. Go on, England. <laughs> can, we, can we just explore SummerSlam here? Because I didn't really get what it was that was significant about the way you said it. No, oh, I said SummerSlam instead, instead of Summer SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah. So you said like Spider-Man, not yes. Spider-Man. SummerSlam. SummerSlam. <laughs> SummerSlam. 
It's a Mustang. Oh, careful, careful. That's a bold suggestion there, Tom. There's a, there's a magnificent way. In, um, I think it's in one of Alan Posh's books where he says the way, you, depending on what inflections you put on, you can change the meaning of the phrase thank you very much. So it's like you can say thank you very much or thank you very much or thank you very much or thank you very much. And it, it changes how you how it's perceived. God, is how you say it. Um, my expectations for the show, um, I, I don't know, really. I wouldn't say I was looking forward to it, but I also at the same time wasn't, wouldn't say I dread it. This isn't going to be... I kind of knew, I kind of remembered that this was only the semi-finals and the finals, so we weren't going to get three Austin matches, which is a bit of a shame. And we, to be honest, we only really get one. And also, what, what I find really interesting, again, this is a little bit of, I reckon, probably my first dalliance outside of watching WWE. And it was really short, one, but I think I missed the majority of 1996 when it happened. I've never really gone fully back to watch it. His brother loses the title at WrestleMania. What's the point in the rest of the year? And he doesn't come back till Survivor Series, does he? <laughs> so I think basically between Bret Hart not being there, I stopped watching. So I kind of missed the emergence of Stone Cold. So I was quite looking forward to seeing some early kind of iterations of, of the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. Um, so that was my main kind of expectation from this. What I wasn't expecting was, um, and we'll go on to this a bit more, but it was Owen Hart on commentary, which when I found out that happened, and I was quite excited. So my expectations going in, similar to you, Tom, actually, I think I, I, th- I think I watched SummerSlam of this year and I'd watched WrestleMania. But other than that, I think this is a really patchy year at the time anyway. I mean, I've gone back and watched the vast majority of this stuff and I've watched this show before as well, definitely at least once. But it was just a weird period. I think given our age, it might have been the period where if we were ever going to stop watching this would have likely been it. Like when I say stop mm. watching, stop watching forever. This would have probably been mm. the period because we were about 13 and we were kind of like 12, 13. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Just getting into that. Mm. Um, And it was kind of that period where I think most people probably fall away from wrestling and go, well, that's it. I'm done with that now. And then they never revisit it. And then it's just mm. something that they used to watch when they were a kid. And I think that's kind of maybe what I was going through. But WWE, obviously, in 97 kind of matured with us in a way. Mm. And then, so they kind of kept us in for a bit longer. Then that was it. We were, we were we were lifers. I remember thinking that the tournament, the last time I'd watched it, whenever that was, and it could have been many, many years ago. I remember think, thinking that the, the tournament matches weren't very memorable, and that though the Undertaker Mankind match got quite a lot of plaudits at the time, that it actually wasn't that impressive when I watched it the last time, as I say. And um, and also, but I was thinking, well, we've got a main event between Shawn Michaels and Dave Boy Smith, and that might be quite good because they we know we're, they're both capable of, of going. So I was interested to see where this went and how, how this came, how this show went. And I, I kind of want to feed this straight into the intro that starts uh, starts the show off. Because when I saw that, it really made me anticipate the show much more. And there was something strange about it. Like they, unlike a lot of shows, pay-per-views that we've seen, they didn't just concentrate on the two or maybe three main matches. The intro video talks about Lawler versus Warrior. It talks about Mankind versus Undertaker. It talks about the Guns versus uh, the Godwins. It talks about Goldust versus Armour Johnson. And it talks about the world title match. And it really kind of did elevate my interest in all of the matches, even though ordinarily I'd have no interest in the Guns versus Godwin or Armour <laughs> Johnson versus Goldust or even Lawler or even really Lawler versus the Warrior. But strangely, them being included in that intro package really just elevated them in my mind a little bit. And it brought me onto a broader kind of thing that I was like, it really, for me, was a stark reminder of how if you present something as important to people, 
they'll take it as important. And if you don't, i.e. if you don't include most of these matches in this intro video, they wouldn't have felt significant to me at all. Mm. But but just putting them in the intro video just made them feel more important. And it kind of felt like that's a lesson that wrestling could learn more often is that treat things as important and people will see them as being important regardless of whether they are or not. Also, going into what you what you kind of said about the, the intro video and showing the, the footage of matches, can we just talk about how crazy intense the music is is all <laughs> it's like it's proper it's, it's a mix between like it's a bit of very niche references so you're gonna have to bear with me but it sounds it reminded very much of the score from the film of masters of the universe which for some reason has always stuck yes. with me very 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 intently and batman the animated series it's a proper like <laughs> intense driving classical overture to, yeah. to the UPP music which makes it seem really intense to your point tinky I, that was actually something I was going to raise when we started the show. I quite enjoyed this opening little video, but what I didn't like is that the King of the, the actual King of the Ring is just a sideshow. I mean, we're definitely getting to this. Like, it's testament to, and I'm not going to spoil it for the listener because they might not know, to the person who wins it that they managed to make it relevant. Mm. I think. And yeah, so I, I, my back was a bit up. I was a little bit like, hey. This is King of the Ring. The centerpiece should be King of the Ring. Godwin's in the guns. Fuck off. <laughs> and I guess that, in fairness, that is also perhaps the flip side of this, which is that they did, did downplay the importance of the tournament. Um, they'd already done that by not having the quarterfinals, semifinals and finals on the show. But they they downplayed it. And I wonder, obviously not wanting to break the hearts of everyone who's listening who doesn't know what happened and are, are, are expecting to learn what happened through our podcast. But... Obviously, given what was originally planned for the King of the Ring tournament, I wonder this year, I wonder whether or not that plays into all this. And I think there's a kind of quite a lot of interesting stuff around who does win this and, yeah. and what happens in the immediate aftermath that will be worth talking about later on. Yeah, I, I suppose it was never really going to go over that well with the fans if Phineas I. Godwin had won it as originally planned, <laughs> which is why he's in the tag match. So the show begins with Owen Hart coming to the ring to join Vince McMahon and Jim Ross on commentary. How is it that we've been doing a podcast for nearly 25 weeks and I think this is the first time we've heard Owen Hart's music? Yeah, and it is fantastic. Oh. <laughs> it is. So when, uh, when me and Tommy lived together, I used to have that on my phone. And what I do is I had very... This is... But come back a few years, so Spotify and that was either just a very much starting or something. So it was still one of those where you like download music onto your phone. So I had that. I had a very limited selection. I'd just check it on shuffle if I was in the shower. And every now and then, Owen Hart's music could come on. What a fuck. I tell you what, I never scrub my balls harder than when that music hit. Bloody lovely. <laughs> that would be a lovely visual for anybody who has been picturing old man and wondering what he looks like. That would be a lovely visual for them. I'll tell you what I look like. An angry man scrubbing his bollocks listening to Owen Hart's music. <laughs> an angry man scrubbing his George the Animal still looking bollocks <laughs> to Owen Hart's music. Yeah. Uh, Owen Hart obviously on commentary. You're right though. How, how, have we not heard his music yet? I don't know. There is absolutely no chance that both Tommy and I would have let it pass. Like, one of us, you can, you can have a little brain fire and we'd have missed it, but both of us. Absolutely. A little note on uh, Vince and JR. So they're doing their introduction and then Owen Hart like crashes the party. Vince and JR are basically in pitch black, like for <laughs> like an early portion. It's a bit like uh, old Bischoff and um Missy Hyatt. 
Yes, thank you, Tommy. Yeah, from the other week when they had some technical difficulties. Um, just just another quick aside on Ohio. Love it. So love him so much. Comes down, slammy in his hand. <laughs> yes. He's got his slammy in his hand. Wonderful stuff. No Let's one's uh, taking the Slammy Awards as seriously as Owen Hart, and I'm all in for it. <laughs> Let's address the commentary team now, since we're talking yeah. about them, because it's a it's a unique commentary team. I don't think you'll probably ever see this commentary team again. And obviously, this is partly due to the fact that Jerry Lawler has a match on the show, which would very often mean that he didn't commentate, which I think is right. I don't think you should have a guy who's on the card commentating as well. And Vince McMahon and Jim Ross together, which is odd anyway, and then also with Owen Hart. The whole thing is kind of very unique. What do we make of it? I loved it. I fucking, I, you know me, you know I'm not a fan of a three-man commentary booth, um, but I really enjoyed Owen Hart's commentary on it. He stays in character, but what he does do quite well is that he does give the babyfaces some credit when they deserve, when he feels they deserve it. I thought he did a really good job. I thought he was really funny. There's a couple of bits in it that they really made me chuckle on a couple of quotes that I've got, which I'll sprinkle through the the show of, of things that he says and does, but I really enjoyed Owen Hart and commentary. And I wonder why he was on commentary and wasn't involved in a match. I know he had his, they had the cast angle at the time, but as far as I'm aware, he was still wrestling in matches. So I wonder if they were just like, we need like any of you heels fancy jumping on the mic tonight or like, you know, in a couple of nights like the pay-per-view and Owen Hart may have been like, yeah, all right then. I, I, I must've been, I mean, I think he's just not, he's not got a match, has he? So part, partially it'll be that maybe also it works its way into the, what happens in the main event, mm-hmm. which obviously we'll talk about later on. But I, I, you know, if it were me, if I was a wrestler and they were like, we got a pay-per-view coming up, we haven't got anything for you, but we we'll we're happily have you on commentary and we'll give you, you know, a bit of a bonus because you'll be on commentary. If you'll get some money, I'd be like, yes, I'd much rather do that and throw my body around and hurt myself for the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lovely stuff. I thought I thought it was a, a little bit of a masterstroke having him on here because he just he's the heel, so it's nice and easy. It means Jr. and Vince don't have to worry about any balance. They can kind of do what they do. Yeah, he like to Tommy's point, he kind of stays in character and he's very uh, he's quite um, obnoxious at times and he he's very. Uh, he mentions his slammies. He mentions win it being king of the ring as he has been previously. Just thought it was really good, and it was it was just a nice it's nice to hear a, a sound that I'd not heard before as well on a wrestling show. It wasn't Larry Sabisco. When I saw Owen Hart come into the ring, and obviously we had Vince McMahon talking as well, I was like, I just I was just smiling. I was like, this is this is it. This is the this is what I like. This is this is my safe place. You know, these kind of people. Vince McMahon on commentary, Owen Hart coming to the ring, that music, everything about it. I was just like, this is, yeah, this is, this is what I'm about. This is what I the, want. The, this is your equivalent of mind version of like Ted DiBiase coming down to the ring, called by Jesse and Gorilla, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, effectively, yeah. It was a bit sullied by the fact that we, you know, Jerry Lawler wasn't with Vince because that would have been for me the exact kind of circumstances I'll be looking for. Ahead of the first match, we are shown footage of Steve Austin's route to the semi-final of the King of the Ring. He beats Bob Holly and Savia Vega. And we also see Mero beating Skip and then Owen Hart, who obviously is on commentary uh, as well. And the first King of the Rings semi-final match gets underway. This match lasts for 17 minutes and ends when Austin hits a, an early version of the Stone Cold Stunner for the victory. Tom, your thoughts on this one? Um, do you know what? So I quite enjoyed the match. I didn't realise it went on for that long, if I'm being honest. It didn't, it didn't feel like it to me. Like I said, kind of in my introduction, I it's so fascinating to me watching a pre-broken neck Steve Austin wrestle because he's so I'm so accustomed to the brawling style that it's really interesting watching him 
do that more methodical technical style and it actually really suits the character as well and what he evidently did post neck breaking is that he the, the character was dialed up a lot more to match the in-ring style whereas the character you can i remember listening to i think it was a podcast once where he said about how they kind of created the stone cold character kind of after like a serial killer almost like that and you kind of get that vibe from him the fact that he's just slow methodical just wants to injure the person and win the match with no kind of frills almost and then obviously post neck breaking goes in all out brawling kind of style and t- the character gets dialed up that much more which reflects in the style in which he works which again solidifies the fact that austin is the best ever in my opinion on the character thing i don't think it gets dialed up i think it gets changed i think it gets changed because the serial killer thing doesn't work as a baby face so they kind of just tweak it so that is now he doesn't really care about anybody but that's because he doesn't trust anyone because he's in this sort of corporate atmosphere where he doesn't like the boss yeah. so you're you're right they, they, they change it but it's, it's not quite dialing up it's kind of just giving it a little twist like, so I think it's not quite the same thing. It's not quite the same thing. I think it's, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that his personality's dialed up, you know, yeah. big time. A couple of little things about it that you don't really see this much anymore. I always, kind of, I always find things that really stand out to me, the things that you don't, they used to be commonplace, you don't see anymore. The mats getting moved back and Mero gets backdropped onto the onto mm. the mats, which is something you just don't see anymore, which is something that happened quite a lot in the 90s and, and, and in, the, in the early 2000s. They must have stopped that. And what is really strange is seeing the stunner with like the kick to the stomach. Yes. It's really weird. It looks really like clunky. But overall, I thought it was a good match. I, there's a couple of bits of commentary in the fact that like Owen Hart said, going, Mark Mary cheated when he blatantly just didn't. And they're like having like a test of strength. And like he, uh, I think Austin kicks him in the stomach and like Mary kicks him back. And he's like, you can't do that. Which I quite <laughs> enjoy. Um, and at the end of it, at the end of the match, after Austin wins, Vincent Mann says, Stone Cold Steve Austin has got a great reputation in the world. Uh, he's got a he's got a really good reputation in the World Wrestling Federation. And I think the words <laughs> reputation and federation he just couldn't figure out. So I enjoyed that as well. Um, but overall, it was quite a good match. I enjoyed it. You just know that if he ever saw caught a glimpse of this show again, he, and he heard himself do that, he'd be like, "God damn it, Vince! Yeah. How could you do that?" He'd, he'd make himself do like so many weights. Touching on the Austin character, going back to that, what what I really was trying to get at is that this is for me the difference between having shades of grey, which people often say about Austin was like the first instance of someone being shades of grey. The difference between actually it's not true because he did become a babyface. He still exhibited all of the things that babyfaces exhibit, i.e. like he fought for himself. He fought for what he believed in. He didn't go in a gang or anything. He stood up on his own and fought, you know, for what he believed in and was brave and was and didn't give up. And all those things, they're all the classic tropes of a babyface, which is and he's not doing that at this point. At this point, he is very much playing heel. He's begging off. He's taking shortcuts. He's cheating. He's doing all the things that that he, the heels do. So for me, it's just a really kind of interesting case study in the fact that it's kind of a lot of people now saying, oh, we're done with Babyface and Hills. We don't need that anymore. And Vince himself said it at the end of 97. In fairness, he said it himself on screen. Oh, we, you know, we don't want the good guy against bad guy. But Austin was a classic good, but good guy when he was you know it is, it is it is pomp in his in his peak and here he's a classic heel it's there is no indication and and, that, and i think it's just one of those myths that people think oh well austin was kind of a shades of gray no he wasn't but there, there never are there never really is they try to make it that it's true but they, they but they don't like for example even if we can we can carry on we go through the time of any wrestling 
there are people that are good guys and bad guys. That's just what happens. What what they they try and play off the shades of grey, if you will, and it's an excuse for laziness, in my opinion. They they do that because they they can't be bothered to write a truly heroic character or well, put that character in the circumstances that it would exhibit that that heroic nature or that evil nature. But there always is. You think even like I don't know, go down a couple of years down, like Triple H was definitely a heel. There are no shades of grey there. He was 1,000% a heel. The Undertaker, when he was in the ministry, he may have been popular, but he was a heel. Well, I think the other thing is, is that the shades of grey that wrestling fans and, and wrestling promotions have seen over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, they're not shades of grey. You're right. They're just complete flips of characters for no good reason that makes sense from a narrative or from a canon perspective. They just completely flip the character. And you're right. It's laziness. Whereas... Uh, in this in this case, Austin is a very clear heel. They 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 shift him. Don't go wrong, they shift him, but they do it so subtly over a course of time that people just think that it was he's just the same bad guy right from right from beginning to end. But it's not. It's a very different character at this point than you see in 1999, for example. Mm. And the other thing is as well, this the, the thing that annoys you about the false the, the shades of grey false equivalency is people will kind of point to John Cena. And you're like, no, John Cena's babyface, but people don't like him because they don't think he's very good. Yeah. You know I mean, that's, that's not that's not some genius. Oh, we're going to write him in this manner because this section of the audience will boo him and this audience will like him. And it's a genius approach. And they booked him as a babyface, which a lot of people didn't like. It's not yeah. some some brilliant grand scheme. It's just how it happened. And then you're using that example as a way to give credibility to your shit writing. Well, as we know, any reaction is a good reaction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 ah. Remember when I fucking jumped down your throat when you said that? <laughs> yeah, I bloody loved it. I, I love listening back to that because it felt like it, it was so organic and it really made, really gave the listener a little a little peek behind the curtain of what a real cunt that Tom is. <laughs> He's a real bastard. <laughs> so, back to the match at hand. Mark Marrow's tan is phenomenal. Wild man. Wild tan, Mark Merrill. <laughs> anyway, Austin has the greatest stare in history of anything ever. His stare at Merrow is terrifying. I like. I was watching. I was like, "Fuck no!" He's boring a hole through him. And Merrow's just like, just there. I don't really know what's going on. This match is quite odd because it is, to Tom's point, Austin is just methodically just taking Merrow apart, just like for probably 15 of the 17 minutes he's just taking him apart he's doing the odd thing Mero has a few like little pinfall attempts towards the end that are almost acts of desperation to kind of like break up the beating that he's taken and he does some leaps to the outside a drop kick from the top rope a nice hurricane runner from the top rope also now this is obviously and obviously we know what happens like with the tournament it's obviously a concerted effort to get Austin up to the next level but this is the first, I didn't know this until the end, this is the first match that Mark Merrow's lost in WWF. And I just remember, because I was watching it, and I was like, this is a very, I didn't, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the match for what it was, but I was like, this is very odd. This is a very odd match. It's like, they're really like, they were putting Austin over to the detriment of Mark Merrow, I thought, in the way that the match was laid out. And when I heard that it was Merrow's first loss in WWF, it's with such a such a whimper that I was a bit like, oh, no wonder Mero didn't really recover and do anything 
in WWF. I don't know whether that's overthinking the wild tan Mark Mero and his downfall. <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, this is odd. Because then he obviously almost becomes a sideshow to Sable as well, like not long after this. Yeah, it was a, I enjoyed the match. It didn't have a state's welcome. A bit like Tommy. Didn't have a clue it was 17 minutes when I watched it. But that little bit with Mero, I was a bit like, ooh. That's a bit odd. Well, I didn't uh, notice that particular part of it. Um, what I did notice is that I really, really liked the match. I thought it was excellent. I did know, I did notice it was 17 minutes as I was going, although, I mean, I didn't know it was exactly 17 minutes, but I knew it was quite a long match and I was quite surprised by how long they went. But I guess actually, and we'll get to this later, thinking about what comes up later on in the tournament, it makes entire sense that this is long. This is effectively the match for the King of the Ring. And it's just, it, you know, it was a great example again of the, what you said, Tom, kind of advancing the idea of who the character is through the style of wrestling. So Austin is methodical. He does take apart Mero slowly and kind of efficiently. And in a way that he, the way he perceived it was, stone cold character being someone who just didn't have any feelings just didn't care about anybody and so his kind of approach would be entirely like well how do i win this match in the best you know in the easiest way as opposed to trying to do anything special and in the meantime and i give mero credit for this he is playing up the idea of being the baby face perfectly he's doing all the flippy stuff he's he's getting all the um all the sympathy on him i just thought it was a really really good match it was very going back to spring stampede 1994 a very wcw style match Put, yeah. this, put this match on that show it would have fitted absolutely perfectly like it, it would have seemed completely seamless it was exactly that kind of match and it all the better for it because it was i just thought it was really really good yeah and as you said tom as well very strange seeing austin prior to the injury i think um as opposed to anything else because he t- takes a back body drop at one point where he kind of flips almost himself in the air mm. so he lands on his back which he would never do after the injury you don't see him take back body drop you take it you see him take kind of quite cushioned falls over people's mm. head but you don't see him fully go up in the air and land f- fully on his back so very very strange seeing him do stuff like that but yeah i thought it was a really excellent start to the show really really impressed six thumbs up how about that <laughs> um, it's also worth mentioning that Owen Hart lays into Sable quite a lot in the match, mm. but manages to do it in in a way that isn't excessively pervy or misogynistic or chauvinistic. I felt. I think he just about gets away with it, and I think mm. it's something that Jerry Lawler used to do when he was properly a heel commentator. Is he would it would always come across as more because they were a babyface mm. or a heel that he would say the things he would say about them as opposed to being just because they were a woman. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's the, that's the weird flip. Like I remember like Alundra blaze versus Leilani Kai at WrestleMania 10. And he's talking about how, how ugly he thinks Alundra blaze is. I mean, the fact that he's talking about the looks at all is probably an issue, but the fact is that he's doing it on the basis that she is a, a baby face and he doesn't like her as a consequence. So mm. it's, it's just a little su- subtly different. It's not necessarily perfect. It's not quite right, but it's, it's, much better than what you usually get with Jerry Lawler and his comments. Yeah. Next, we get Doc Hendricks backstage. Uh, he is with Jake Roberts, who cuts a God-inspired promo about taking on Big Van Vader. Uh, any thoughts on this little promo? Hey, guys, I'm Doc Hendricks, and I'm from <laughs> 1990s Radio. <laughs> Love it. What, what an impression. Yeah. What a weird use of, of, of big old 
fuck, what's his name? Um, <laughs> Michael, Michael Hayes. Hayes. Yeah, what a fucking weird is. It's so weird because everyone's like, I do reckon everyone watching this has been like, anybody who watched, you know, like fucking world class or, you know, like some Jim Crockett promotions be like, that guy looks a bit like, a bit like Michael Hayes. Well, a little bit like Michael Hayes's older brother who thinks he's got a higher station than Michael Hayes by wearing a crap tux everywhere. But isn't Michael Hayes? It was just—it's so weird. It's so weird. The promo from Jake Roberts is really good, as is his one. Really, yeah. he's always a good promo. But at this point, I realise, and they say it quite a lot, Jake Roberts is forty-one. Yeah. He's four years older than us. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That hit the hit the fucking nail in the coffin head. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what you've got to look forward to guys in four years time you're gonna look like that that's what we're gonna look it was weird it was just so weird because a couple of things like i was like jesus so let's put it into context i think john cena's 44 now so when he was 41 he still would have been working pretty much a full-time schedule yet no one's saying about how old he is and this i'm kind of feeding into the match the next match so but it did make me think i was just like wow it's funny how like Age is such a bigger thing then. You know what I mean? People yeah. didn't wrestle as long as they do now. Well, interestingly as well, I'm pretty certain that Bret Hart would have been about 40 as well. And then yeah. no no one's saying that about him. You know, well, It's interesting how age is, is such a kind of arbitrary thing in wrestling, mm. I think. And Vader is 41 <laughs> at this point. Because I was like, Vader must be a similar age. Because obviously he passed away, was it late last year, late 2020? And I was like, he must have been a similar age. Yeah, sure enough. I think he's he's a month or two younger than Jake well, Roberts. Well, I bet Jerry Lawler as well is older than Jake Roberts. I would I would, oh, I would put some money on that. So again, all of these things are kind of like this is a bit this is just weird, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the and and they were kind of kind of arbitrary. I mean, I, I talked about I remember thinking about this when we talked about Bob Backlund in the past because Backlund was quite young when he was WWF champion, like the first time around. So when he came back and was part of the the lost generation, if you like, or the idea that he was kind of like looking down on the new generation, he wasn't actually that much older than Bret Hart, and he wasn't, and he certainly was about the same age as as Hulk Hogan. So it was all kind of it's just a weird thing. This is an arbitrary nature. I think it's just about perception. And maybe, yeah. first of all, how Jake looks, because you're right, he does look pretty old at this point. But he also... Looks, let, let, let's not dance around it. He <laughs> looks fucking awful. He <laughs> looks horrendous. And I was going to touch upon this in the final. That really, I know he's selling what happens at the end of the match with Vader, but he should not, he shouldn't be anywhere near a wrestling ring, I don't think, to be honest. I think, well, to be honest, I think he should probably have been in rehab for a bit longer. Well, in addition to not looking particularly great, he also obviously was away for a period of time, Mm. probably about three and a half years by this point from the WWF roster. So, again, it's just that perception thing. I think they just played into the idea that he's been away, so he must be quite old. Although, interestingly, they don't talk about Warrior's age at any point, and he's been away for a similar period of time. Well, that's because he's an utter cunt, I think. Yeah. (laughs) And you, you know what? I've given Jake Roberts a right kick in there. So I just want to add how pleased I am to see that he's still doing all right after having got clean and obviously watching the resurrection of Jake the Snake, the documentary on him with DDP and seeing what a fucking mess he was in and how he turned his life around. So well done, Jake, although you're a bit old for the wrestling ring now. There's there's an interesting thing, sorry, while we're on Jake Roberts. I recently watched the one of the later episodes of Dark Side of the Ring uh, um, Jake Roberts and kind of living in the shadow because did you know that Rockin' Robin and Sam yeah. Houston were his brothers and sisters I didn't know that Um, and it's do you know what to be perfectly honest fucking fair play to him 
for still being yeah. alive and still because with the shit that he's gone through in his life it's it's not a surprise that he was it, in the state he was in i'm glad you mentioned that tommy because i wasn't actually going to go into this but i found and this is obviously very much with the benefit of hindsight i found the fact that they were picking on his age quite distasteful because they were i feel like they were needlessly pointing out the shape that he's in when that kind of speaks for itself i think i i feel like it was a way of saying that this is a 41 year old guy look at the shape he's in he's not in very good shape is he and it's kind of i think even at this point it's kind of known that he's had some quite severe addiction the two things there first of all the bit about the addiction so it was part of the storyline and Mm. his comeback so they've they he's actually been he said that he used to be an alcoholic or he is an alcoholic and he's now uh recover he's recovered and he is and as a consequence of finding god that's the story the story they've given on the age thing i actually think it makes sense if you think and if jake himself thinks he looks a bit older and is not in the best shape i think it makes sense to play into the idea that as the reason that is the case is because he is a bit older than everybody else and then you can work it into this kind of comeback story which is this older guy giving it one last push trying to win a title which he's never managed to do in the wf before i didn't read it as a a bad tasting i read it as something where you're like let's use it to our advantage and use it to his advantage which is to get mm. this story of his comeback and his redemption if you like fully over so then before the next match we get footage of vader beating ahmed johnson with the help of owen hart on the way to semi-final and then vince mentions that gold dust versus the warrior ended in a double count out which meant that vader got a bye <laughs> in the semi-final we then see footage of Jake Roberts defeating Triple H and Justin Hawk Bradshaw, a couple of future world champions there yes. on the way to the semi-final. And we get the match between Vader and Jake Roberts, which lasts just uh, three and a bit minutes. It ends when, as Jake Roberts goes to hit a DDT, Vader grabs the referee on his way down and the referee immediately disqualifies Vader for Jake Roberts to advance through to the next round afterwards vader then attacks jake roberts and hits the vader bomb before referees help roberts to the back old man thoughts on this one well first off this is the battle of the bangers vader's music is incredible jake roberts music is tremendous also um jim Cornette has very much been on the vader diet it looks like he is very rotund and i make no apology for that because jim Cornette is a horrible piece of shit to the match vader beats the shit into jake roberts and jake roberts is he's obviously he's a pro he's selling it but he is clearly hating every second of taking vader's punches because vader like he done all back and he definitely done all back on poor jake poor jake's just trying to find god he don't want to be beaten in the face by stinky old vader I like the match is very difficult to talk about outside of that. The finish is horrendous. I know why they do it, because they don't want Vader to get pinned by a 41 year old recovering alcoholic. I know why they don't want him to get pinned, but it's so poorly done. There's so many other ways that you Mm. can do it. Like when I was watching, I was like, just have him go for a splash in the corner. And for some reason, the refs being an idiot, not paying attention, gets splashed in the corner or takes a little flailing arm as he's splashing Jake and then you can disqualify him for that. Or they could just have it where he's just beating the shit out of him in the corner. The referee tells him to stop and he just carries on. Just disqualify him. Or or, or, or the referee tells him to stop and Vader pushes the referee away. Simple. Yeah. 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 Weird. That that, that makes much more sense. (laughs) 
<laughs> your flailing arm from a Vader <laughs> <laughs> which would be probably as bad as the finish that they <laughs> so I'd, I'd quickly jump in and be like oh. <laughs> Tom, Tom saves old man there he's like yeah, uh, flailing, uh, flailing fucking arm you got to be joking <laughs> at you <laughs> Can you imagine how human you'd be? You'd have been, if that happened, you'd have been like, why don't you just fucking pull him down when he DDT'd him? <laughs> uh, so the beatdown after is tremendous. It's a great beatdown, but there's something I've really struggled to get out of my head. Jim Cornette <laughs> is the referee, but for some reason, I don't know fucking what was the referee going to fucking do against Vader? We've just seen him get knocked down by a flailing arm. Uh, yeah, so. He's like holding him in the corner, but he's like spread with his arm on each rope in the corner. And it just looks so horrible. It's just horrible. It's so ugly. He, he pins him against the corner and he's just rubbing his bum on him. <laughs> he's, he's rubbing his gym cornhole on it. It's, uh, oh, it's disgusting. And I really struggled to get it out of the head. Luckily, there's a Coliseum video exclusive because I managed to just have a little break and kind of get my head out of it. Don't dress it up, old man. You logged that in the wank bank for later on. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, I, I paused it for 15 seconds. Got <laughs> got one out. Lovely old job. But, but I, I did it on a spare tennis racket that I've got uh, lying around. <laughs> which didn't catch all of it as you can imagine and when i play tennis <laughs> day, i was hitting the ball crusty bits of cum coming off it but I don't know what it was. uh tom yeah. thoughts on the match uh what <laughs> um so i basically old man's basically said everything that i've put down there's only a couple of th- little little bit things someone in commentary makes reference to the fact that vader stinks i don't want to be in the ring with stinky old vader <laughs> um, you can tell Jake Roberts isn't really in a good way because you know my opinion on snakes. You know I'm not a fan. Um, he really fucking dumps that snake in the ring from that. Yeah. Snake. Like really, and I was like, oh poor snake, get away from me. I don't want to see you, but poor snake. And the ending is shit, like you said, with the exception of um, Jim Cornette rubbing his bum against the ref. I love the fact that you know my man comes down and helps Jake to the back. Well, Rene Gulag or whatever his name is comes <laughs> down. What's his name? Rene Goulet. Goulet, yeah, he comes down and helps him to the back. And I said, like, oh, there he is. It's always good. Yeah. Well, you um, say he helps him to the back. He stands in the background whilst about 15 people are carrying Jake back. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's kind of like he's Jesus fallen from the cross. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that imagery, actually. And uh, and as we know, well, Rene Goulet was, was there as well. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, two years and years ago, having a lovely time. Um, but no, I'll be honest. I'm very, very little thoughts on this match. It was, it was more of an angle than a than yeah. a match, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's just a way to get through, get the <laughs> get Roberts through to the final and not have Vader have to like get pinned or submitted. Obviously, they are building him to a big title match with Shawn Michaels. But actually, that's the other thing about the ending for me. It's not just terrible, which it is, but it isn't just terrible. It's also not particularly good for Vader. Like. For me, him getting DDT'd and effectively being in a position where if he hadn't been DQ'd, he might have got pinned is yeah. worse than if they just had him absolutely 
dominate the match and have him beating Roberts up in the corner. Maybe Roberts gets like a slap in at some point that infuriates Vader and then having Vader push the referee away, which would have protected him far better than having him get DDT'd and effectively be in a position where he could have been pinned. It's these little things. And especially back in those days when, you know, wrestlers didn't appear every single week on Raw and they didn't appear on every single pay-per-view, you kind of have to, like if you're building Vader to this big matchup where he's going to be Shawn Michaels' main the main contender for Shawn Michaels title at SummerSlam, then you better sort these little details out, in my opinion. So we then get a Coliseum home video exclusive with Vader going mad backstage and Jim Cornette trying to calm him down. And then a backstage interview, another one by Doc Hendricks, who is with Sonny and the Smoking Guns. Sonny is shown footage of the Body Donner's new manager, Cloudy, that Sonny is not happy about. Cloudy being a man dressed as if he is Sonny. What? Uh, this is a... This is a particularly messy interview, Jesus. including this, it, it, as messy as this recap is, because old man keeps trying to bloody <laughs> interrupt me. Um, it's a particularly messy interview uh, where nobody is speaking into the microphone for the vast majority of it. Billy, Gen- Billy Gunn forgets the word manager at one point, and Hendrix calls the guns the Godwins. It is an absolute mess. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking billy gunn is so fucking awful he's so awful he's like we have got we have got the best uh, (laughs) manager in the business (laughs) you know it goes to show though such a weird use of of uh michael hayes clearly an inept interviewer (laughs) why is he there but also like shows footage i think of when when sunny leaves the godwins to manage the smoking Mm. guns and it's basically just Billy Gunn just gets off of there against her will. And then they win the titles and then she swoons. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll go with these guys now. And I know there was like a story there where she basically followed the tag team titles around, didn't she? But it's just really weird. It's just like it's really uncomfortable. You see this quite a lot every now and again. Don't you? Like in in, uh, in old wrestling, where you see this this baby face getting off of this heel manager against her will. And you're like, I'm not really sure I want to see someone getting sexually assaulted in the 90s or any decade. I was going to say, just very specifically, the 90s. Yeah, 80s, I'm fine. 2000s, even. I'm all right with it. But 90s. From this evidence as well, they seem to, obviously, at one point in the next match, the commentators, Vince McMahon in particular, I think, says something about Billy Gunn as if he's better than Bart. He might even say explicitly, Billy seems to be the more capable of the two. They clearly (laughs) see something in him. They clearly see, I don't know what it is because he's fucking terrible, but they obviously see something in him. I mean, but Bart Gunn is also really shit. Well, no, fair. fair. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, do you want to lose your, I don't know, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say your right leg or your left leg. I'd rather lose my left leg because I'm right footed, so it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, would you rather, you know, lose your, one of your which one of your front teeth do you want to lose? But I'm going to look like a fucking burglar's dog either way, so. Just... <laughs> Hang on, hang on. Burglar's dog. Yeah, so my dad, my dad, um, the other week, he's got like a crown in the, in the front, front in one of his teeth, and it keeps falling out. So every day he's super gluing it back in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it fell out the other day, and my mum, my mum said, "Oh, he was walking around looking like a burglar's dog." <laughs> I have uh, no idea what that means, but it's great. You think of a burglar's dog, they're probably gonna have a couple of teeth missing. Mm. Um. So then we do get the Smoking Guns versus the Godwins, a 10-minute match for the WWE Tag Team title, which ends when Bart hits Phineas from behind with his boot to allow Billy to get the pinfall and retain the belts. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? I mean, can you imagine? Um, 
a match with people you'd least like to see in a match. <laughs> yeah. The Godwins are fucking shit. The Smoking Guns are fucking shit. Hillbilly Jim's fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and Sunny, I mean, she's there doing her job, but uh, but she's, you know, obviously off her tits at some point as well. Like, I, oh, this is awful. <laughs> like, it really goes to show, like, what they're going on. There's an interview during the match with Cody, which is weird. <laughs> and there's a, there's the bit where the Godwins bring a couple of goats to the ring as well, and, you know, they look a bit sad. And a bit scared, which, you know, they would be. So I wasn't a big fan of that. There's a bloke in the crowd wearing a cracking gold dust outfit. Yes. Point, which I thought was particularly amazing, considering the way the gold dust was presented at the time, that he was very much a heel. There's a a bit in commentary, which I really liked. Owen slags off Jim Ross. Vince then defends Jim Ross. <laughs> Owen says, how many slammies have you won, McMahon? <laughs> and then proceeds to say the exact same thing that Jim Ross originally said. It's just a lovely bit of heel commentary work from my heart. Um, and what was really weird, I found it, I couldn't see what happened at the end. I wasn't really aware of what happened. But Bart Gunn appeared to hit Henry O'Godwin with, like, some kind of rag. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I filled in the, the detail there in terms of it being his boot because it's the only thing I can imagine that he could have hit him with. Mm-hmm. I don't know for definite there was a boot. Oh, it my was... God, it's a shamwile to the head. No! <laughs> it did. It looked like he hit him. He'd just been out. He'd just kind of, you know, washed his car and finished shamming it off. Had it in his back <laughs> pocket and then hit him with it. Um, It is his boot because they show it in the replay. But it's a very flappy boot. I can't imagine it would do much impact. It's not like it's not like one of those, like a ski boot or one of those boots that you get with <laughs> a broken leg or something like that. It's a fucking, like, just a floppy pair of boots and he just hits him with it. It's shit. The match is shit. Terrible wrestlers, daft little match. <laughs> Fuck off. Please, please say shit one more time, Tom. <laughs> shit. Shit! <laughs> Tommy's done it justice, I think. So, my main notes are somewhat related to the match. So, there's a creepy looking dude in the crowd with a number one Sonny fan sign. He's holding a magazine with Sonny on and he's got a Sonny t shirt on. And I thought, that's a bit weird. Not sure about that, to be honest. I get the get the feeling that he's probably not all there. He's probably a couple of goats short of a herd. I tell you what, I bet in his pants he was all there when he saw Sonny. <laughs> and to be fair, you're wearing a t-shirt and you're holding a magazine, which I'm sure he probably brought with him because I doubt he'd picked it up on the way. Yeah. It sounds like that fan that sign's pretty accurate, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a little note on the goats. That's a fucking lyric. That's a lyric. Some rapper can have. Yeah. Um, so, because I was a bit concerned for the goats. So I was like, oh, I don't know about this. So I was like, what's it mean when their tails are going absolutely nuts? Apparently it means they're having a good time. Oh. They reckon. Yeah. So I was quite glad. One of the Godwins, uh, Midian, naked Midian, who's thankfully clothed, although what he's wearing is so unattractive, kind of wouldn't mind him being naked. He, uh, he is particularly uh, rough with one of the goats. So mm. I, yeah, a bit bath by that. The match of, so I don't know what happened in this match because I've, so each of these matches, what I normally do is I make a couple of little notes during the match and each of these matches I just watched and then made some notes at the end. I have no idea what happens in this match. The interview in the middle completely derailed me completely. I think I was probably quite turned on by Cloudy. It was a lovely looking lady. 
a lovely, lovely lady. And I was also distracted by all the denim in the match. We've got mm-hmm. denim for both teams. Hillbilly Jim is Hillbilly Denim outside. And Sonny is wearing a little bit of denim, only a small amount. She's not really got the memo. Is this the most denim in a wrestling match of all time? Do you, you know think? what? Imagine if the ref had worn jeans as well. <laughs> <laughs> jeans and a nice denim jacket. <laughs> Phenomenal. Like, uh, like the one that Scott Hall wears when he invades Nitro. The denim jacket with the sleeves <laughs> cut off. Lovely stuff. I, this was horrible, what I remember. It's two of the worst teams I can remember in living memory. Ma- memory, family. In, in living memory. With an interruption of a really weird interview of something that I really don't understand anyway. Like that it's like a man in drag trying to piss off Sonny. Because what they're doing is they're going, you know what, there's a little tag team match going on there for the tag team titles. But do you know what's more important than that? A man dressed as a woman trying to piss off the tag team champion's manager. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Big time. Yeah, and you made them have a 10-minute match so that you could pretty much do that. Give them 30 seconds. Just give them 30 seconds, boss. That's all they need. <laughs> the suggestion there that you made, which is that the, te- the, the feud, if you like, between Sonny and Cloudy is more important than the match, is probably true. This is a time when the tag team division was utterly shit and consisted of the three teams that are actually involved effectively in this match, the Body Donners, the Smoking Guns, the Godwins. And I guess you could add the new rockers in there, but Mario Giannetti was in and out of WWF like a yo-yo at this point, so didn't really count. Um I don't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> what the bleed did you do with your yo-yos, you dirty sod? <laughs> um, yeah, so the match is terrible. The main focus of the division was Sonny. And also, the thing I got from it, though, was that this feels so out of place from the rest of what WWE is presenting at the time, because they're starting to go for a harder edge, right? We have the Brian Pillman interview later on. We have Austin and his, you know, what happens with him. And he's already like been blooded as well. You've got the Jake Roberts kind of bit more reality based, if you like, within finding God and all this stuff. And the fact that he's, you know, a recovering alcoholic. You've got um, the gold dust character obviously is now around at this time. Like they are trying to go for a harder edge. And yet here you have the hillbilly gym inspired Godwins against a pair of cowboys. And the other people involved in the feud are the, the fitness people, Skip and Zip. Um, and with their, their cross-dressing manager, like it's just, it's just out of place. It just doesn't fit at all um at this point in time so it is no wonder the tag team division was doing so badly at this point in time they are trying quite hard to big up the idea of the swimming guns being heels and that's the only thing that's well kind of done during this match jr tells a story at the beginning about how the guns wouldn't sign autographs for a pair of their fans that were outside the building earlier in the earlier than earlier in the night but other than that yes just forgettable instantly do you think it would have worked better if they'd had Hillbilly Jim turn into Hillbilly Jill and had him cross-dressing? It's a missed opportunity. Hillbilly Jim's such a weird one because he looked exactly the same throughout his entire career. <laughs> you could look at him, look at him in 2001 in, in, the, uh, in the, the novelty rumble, whatever it is, at WrestleMania 17. Then now, and then you look back at him like in the rock and wrestling era. Motherfucker looks exactly the same. He's <laughs> always looked that age. Yeah. And I tell you what, if he dressed up as him now, I've just seen a picture of him from like now, effectively. If he dressed up as him, him now, he'd still look the same. It's a, it's a good one, actually. How old does he look? Because he always kind of looked like, what do you reckon, like middle aged? 
Because he always looked a bit older, didn't he? I think it's the massive beard and the dungarees. Yeah. Well, he's now 68. Is he? What a fucking lad. He's younger than Jerry Lawler. Wow. Yeah. Jerry Jerry Lawler is 71 at this current age. Jake Roberts is 66. So you hit the nail on the head there, Tinky. In that (laughs) that Jake Roberts is considerably younger than Jerry Mm. Lawler. And on the cloudy thing, they never really went anywhere with the cloudy storyline. It kind of just fizzled out when I think possibly Chris Candido skip got injured and they just ended the whole body donners thing in general. Well, that's a shame because I thought that was absolute gold. <laughs> it might have been, you know what, if they'd have given it the chance to play out, who knows? It might have become gold. Emmy award winning television. Next up, we see uh, backstage. We have Doc, Doc Hendricks with Jim Cornette, Davey Boy Smith, Diana Smith, and Clarence Mason. Also, Mr. Perfect is in the background getting ready for his refereeing gig, which will see him referee, apparently, the main event. Smith says during this promo that he's going to join the Triple Header Club, which is not something I've heard it <laughs> referred to before, which is somebody who's won the World Intercontinental and Tag Team titles. Yes, I found this, and also the match. I find it quite uh, disconcerting just because Diana looks completely off her tits, like completely. She looks incredibly unhealthy. She's incredibly thin and doesn't look like she knows what's going on. David Boy Smith, I'm guessing a triple header is probably something that he did the night before because he doesn't look in a good way. The best thing about this is Mr. Perfect getting changed. And if you told me that in a promo, the best thing would be a man getting changed in the background. Although he doesn't seem to be getting changed, just seems to be going through pockets of something. Yeah, not good, this. Um, this is also, I believe, the first time that, or at least the first time I was made aware of Camp Cornet, which made me think of Camp David from Adam Partridge. <laughs> where he's like, oh, it's our new feature. Here's Camp David. Hello, Camp David. Oh, hello, Alan. What are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, mince. <laughs> Uh, Alan Partridge so yes indeed we then are preparing ourselves for Jerry Lawler versus the ultimate warrior and Jerry Lawler coming to the ring he has a microphone with him and he walks up to where the uh, coronation ceremony will take place and he inspects the various items that are there the crown the the throne the the scepter and he says oh this scepter is better than the one I've got back at the castle I'll steal this so he takes it away with him he then walks to the ring and as he goes picks on various members of the front row and absolutely destroys them um yes. and he just generally is about as heelish as it's possible to be mm. as he comes to the ring I could not stop thinking of you watching this, Tinky, because mm. I remember you telling. I think it was, it might have been when you were, might have been when you were at uni or maybe shortly afterwards. But I remember you, like I don't even. I think you maybe even called me and told me about it because you're like, <laughs> there's this bit where he he walks to the ring and he's just slagging everyone off, and I know exactly what your favourite line is as well. And it's <laughs> when he walks out to that kid and says, "Hey, you, is that your face or did your neck throw up?" <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I love. It. He's in rare form. I mean, I don't know. We give him a we give him a hard time, and fuck him, he mm. deserves it. But I, uh, but I fucking enjoyed this so much. It really made me chuckle walking down the road. And it's little mullets, disgusting. <laughs> Things turn very, very serious. Then he's like, I fucking love this, but it's mullets, fucking disgusting. I thought he was gonna like smash through the screen when he said that. I thought this was tremendous, and what it also does is it makes the warrior entrance that much more which is 
designed to do, I'd imagine. It makes it that much more enjoyable for the crowd. I mean, I wish I'd written down some of the lines because he eviscerates two women. Like, to the point where I was a bit like, if that was my mum or sister, I'd have probably fucking swung at him. Yeah. Yeah. He he, he seems to be with her partner and he says to her, um, it's good to see you here rather than your your usual position on the street corner. Yeah. Uh, Like he's properly, it goes in on like everyone and he just, he absolutely slaughters people. It's just, it stands out so much because I don't think I've ever seen anyone in WWE do this at any point. It's so kind of, it goes right in on them. Well, they, they, what they've done, which I think, sorry, old man, but it's kind of, again, right. tied, in, tied into what you said just now. I don't think it's, uh, I think it obviously is to help make the Warriors' entrance impact, but it's the, what they've done is they've probably gone to themselves, shit, no one cares about the Warrior. We need yeah. to get the person who can garner the most heat in a live crowd and just put them in a match with them so it seems like people care. So someone who can really, rather than being really up for the Warrior, they really hate Jerry Lawler to try and get him get a reaction a positive reaction to the warrior it's amazing that he can do this though because his entire career he spent being a baby yeah it's amazing that he's able to come out and just do this so like there is at this point you know yes we absolutely slam Jerry Lawler every possible chance we get but at this point I'm thinking this guy is can pretty much do anything you want him to do ask him to do anything and he can do it. You look at the different style of his commentary over the years as well. We don't like the t- the stuff that comes later on. But in his mid-90s time, he is just, I think, just incredible as a, as a heel kind of, kind of commentator. So, like, he, and, and obviously was massively successful as a babyface, beloved babyface champion within, uh, within Memphis. So just, yeah, really kind of incredible. You can ask him to pretty much do anything. Yeah. And it's definitely the best part of this whole segment. Well, given what we have got coming up, I think um, we should leave everybody in anticipation of the match. Oh, you little tease. That's right, yeah. And just take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Outstanding. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the fourth prestigious King of the Ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin, an incredible victory. The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. come on. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I've proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. He is stone cold. Come on, that's not necessary. All he's got to do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird All right, stop and it. try to dig back some of that courage he had in his prime. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. All right, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And and his remarks, yes, 1996, WWF King of the Ring. As far as this match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. 
And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Obviously, anything but humble, the fourth prestigious king of the ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, and welcome back to the show. So before the Ultimate Warrior versus Jerry Lawler got underway, we saw footage of Lawler hitting Warrior with a framed picture of himself, i.e. the Warrior, not Jerry Lawler, um, after Lawler had presented it to Warrior and Warrior had suggested that he was a con artist, not an artist. I, I disagree. Jerry Lawler's a pretty damn good artist, I think. Yes, yes. And zing from the warrior. <laughs> <laughs> so the match itself, um, well, what can we say? It's just under four minutes in length, and it ends when after Lawler hits a pile driver, Warrior no-sells it and then does his running clotheslines, followed by a shoulder tackle for the win. Old man, thoughts on this one? This is absolutely first class. But not... I thought you were going to break into this is awesome for a minute then. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the Burger King chants for Lawler, which I loved, and the crowd are fucking, they're enjoying it. So... Lawler's got the scepter and he's choking Warrior. Oh, he's choking him for a while in the corner. Warrior, the whole time, for some reason, is thrusting. He's thrusting. And I'm like, why is he thrusting? And then I thought, I need to I need to test this. So I just put my hand around my throat. <laughs> and po- didn't thrust once. That's a change from the normal, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I suppose if it, I suppose if I was being choked by Lawler, then uh, then I might uh, I might have thrust a play. Yeah, and then he no sells a pile driver, and then it finishes. And it goes three minutes fifty, probably three forty-seven too long. And like without the pre-match shenanigans that we talked about before the break, this is even worse. And then I think Warrior walks out in about seven minutes and just goes I'm done or however he talks and then he dropped dead horrible gun <laughs> <laughs> Tom uh, yeah you've said what happened <laughs> the only the only note I've got about this I remember watching the they did that video that, that video fuck me they did that the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, didn't they, a couple of years ago. And I remember them. they took every opportunity to bury the Warrior. Poor, poor turn of phrase, I know. But, and there was a bit where Joe Rule is talking about this match and about his ankle. And then it shows it, obviously, the footage of, you know, them breaking the, 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 the picture frame over him. And Ultimate Warrior is just wearing a cap. A yeah. baseball yes. cap, for no reason. And, and Joe Rule is going like, he just came up wearing a baseball cap. And it completely threw me. Like, he's <laughs> never worn that before. The other one's never worn a baseball cap. Why is he wearing a baseball cap? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. And that was that was what I was thinking about for the entire match. Yeah, it's not the best at all. Um, I did this weird thing with Jerry Lawler as well in WWF, which is that they, even though they have portrayed him as being completely shit, like they've, they've portrayed him as being one of the worst wrestlers in the world. Let me put it this way. When I was into wrestling first in my, you know, when I first got into wrestling, I perceived Jerry Lawler as being shit. Like I perceived him as being a not very good. You couldn't be anyone. He's a coward, all that, that kind of stuff. And yet they program him constantly with main eventers so bret hart roddy piper in 94 bret hart again in 95 warrior in 96 and i just don't get it like i don't understand why they just keep like in in the in the 94 king of the ring he headlines the show against roddy piper i just i'm like why why is it they think i mean obviously he has got a big following in memphis in that territory in particular but he's it's so odd that they present him constantly as a main event guy against other headlining acts it's really strange 
I think it might just be they, they know they can trust him. Maybe. Do you know what I mean? To get people over. And, but it is weird, though, because what you say about him being, a, you know, having a massive following Memphis, I can't imagine it. Well, he would have probably been a draw for them still, but he's a completely different character mm. as well. Mm. Like, he's he's a cowardly, dastardly heel in this, whereas he was the shining knight babyface in Memphis. And so, he still was. And he still was yeah. at this point, yeah. And, and it's still really strange. It'd be like it'd be equivalent of like watching like watching one TV show and thinking, oh, I really like that person. I'm going to watch him. This doesn't work. Fuck me. My analogies <laughs> are all over the shop this morning. Either way, it doesn't work. No, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, work. I always hated Lawler. And uh, he's done nothing in this match to change that. Yeah, three minutes and 50 seconds to change my view. Fucked it. Doc Hendricks is backstage next with Gorilla Monsoon. Um, and also with Jake Roberts, who is being tended to by a doctor behind him. Uh, uh, we get told by Monsoon. <laughs> the word and the fact he's being tended to by a doctor behind him. He's getting his, he's getting his anus you inspected. Would you would go there, wouldn't you? Monsoon no, I, I would not go anywhere near Jake Roberts' anus. That's why you'll never be a medical professional. <laughs> Moving on. Monsoon tells us that Roberts has decided he will compete tonight. And yes! says that he won't stop him. Uh, even though he has the power to do so, because he is now currently president of the WWF. Um, and But he will stop the match if he feels like it should happen. I believe Jake Roberts does say something during this interview. And it's... <laughs> in the background. So I think that's very insightful. Considering he was such a great stick man. That's one of his low points. So then we get footage shown of mankind attacking Undertaker in your house last month and on Raw a couple of weeks before, before we get The Undertaker versus Mankind in a match that lasts 18 minutes and ends when uh, Mankind gets the mandible claw on Undertaker. And as The Undertaker tries to escape, Paul Bearer tries to hit Mankind with the urn, but hits Taker by mistake. Mankind then locks in the mandible claw again and puts Taker out for the technical submission, as is listed on Wikipedia's page. Uh, Tom, thoughts on this one? I really enjoyed this. I, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was really good. Um, so obviously, this is a stage in Undertaker's career where he starts having good matches, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I love the entrance. I love the, the fact that what happens is Mankind comes out and he's in the ring. And then the Undertaker's music hits. Paul Bearer comes to the ring and and he's walking down. And he, he's signaling for the Undertaker to come in, come in. Obviously, the lights are out, as is the Undertaker's one. When the lights come back on, he's perched on the top rope and hits Mankind with a, with a clothesline. And it's just great. He's like he's like a gargoyle almost. Do you know what I mean? Like on it, it's a great image. This it cut the lights coming back on and him just waiting for him to turn around. It's brilliant. I also as well. I again because I kind of missed the introduction of the mankind character. Really, I kind of forget how much of a great character mankind was. How different and how weird and creepy he is. And it's kind of the first time as well that we see the Undertaker being vulnerable, isn't it? Really. There have been obviously some other moments that, you know, but even like the 94 casket match, there's still like nine people getting him into the ring and stuff mm. like that. Like, it's the first time you probably see him vulnerable and it's brilliant. There's some really good spots in it. There's there's a bit like a couple of like, like quite high impact moves on the outside. I wasn't sure if it was a no DQ match or not because I'm pretty sure the Undertaker hits Mankind with a chair really blatantly mm. in front of the referee and he doesn't call it. But yet the referee's counting when they're outside. So it's a little bit confusing. And I've forgotten that Mankind screamed during matches yes. all the time, which I very much enjoyed. And it sounded a little bit like the old Sting scream as well. Yeah, yeah a bit <laughs> like that. I just thought the match was really good. It was quite long, but it was still it was still really good. I thought Mick Foley looked in incredible shape. 
probably the best shape that he'd been in in WWE. I really enjoyed it. And I love the fact that when Paul Bearer accidentally hit The Undertaker, he didn't pin him. Because that would have seemed to be weird to have a character like that who would be focused on winning as such. The fact that he just then puts the Manable Call back on and releases it and walks off. I thought it was brilliant. And the other thing that I forgot about Mankind is I love the fact that he's got different music when he wins. The fact yeah. that it's just like really nice, like plinky, plonky piano music, but mixed with that character and the original entrance music from when he comes down is so sinister and like dark. It was brilliant. I, I thought this match was great. I really, really enjoyed it. For me, this is what you talk about the Mankind character for a minute. Oh, I'll, get, I'll then throw to you, old man, for your thoughts on the match. But the Mankind character itself brings me back to all the things we've heard about what Mankind did backstage to try and just slightly influence Vince McMahon in a different direction than where he originally was going. So the idea originally was that he was going to be called Mason the Mutilator and he got him to be Mankind the Mutilator. And then by the time they got to the show, it was just Mankind. The fact that he suggested having different music for his entrance and different music for when he won the match, all those kinds of things are kind of, again, this idea that yes, Vince will give you the bones of an idea, but if you're able to articulate something back to him, which he feels might even be a slight improvement or might, or you, he can see your kind of into yourself. He is, he does appear to be over the course of history, at least open to suggestion about the ideas that he's come up with and isn't kind of completely wedded to just this original, the original bones of whatever idea he gets. And sometimes this is where I, it's difficult because you don't you never know who's getting favorable treatment or who's kind of just able to get lucky on it on a given day or whatever but it it sometimes just makes me wonder about some of the people that have complained in the past about not getting the chance to be who they want to be or or mold the character in the direction they want to go makes me think actually that there has been examples where there's been clear opportunity for wrestlers to do that and if they have gone ahead and done it and tried to find other ways to just twist what the original concept was you can really find gold and this is really i think a a, a, an occasion where that really shines here is the mankind character yeah he's he's just tremendous isn't he it's just really really good like to Tom's point as well, like the Undertaker is vulnerable and he's desperate as well. Like he's really desperate. And this is where I think Owen Hart's commentary, he really like steps it up because he he gets the story that they're trying to tell. Like the Undertaker is desperate and he keeps saying that Owen Hart through the match, just how desperate the Undertaker is to, to do it. There is an unprotected chair shot, which having called out other matches for it and other companies for it i have to call out because it's pretty grim as well it's a pretty uh it's a pretty rough one um tommy's kind of covered everything to be honest that i had it is really good it's very very good one thing is this so obviously tommy talked about the casket match is this outside of that is this the undertaker's first loss of his career in wwe that isn't by pinfall like tommy said and I'd not thought about it this way. It doesn't make any sense for mankind to pin him because that's not what he's about. Like his whole character, it would be weird if he covered him for a three count. But yeah, I was just like, because I was genuinely shocked at the end. I was like, fucking hell. He's just like passed him out. He's passed out the Undertaker. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable, Jeff. <laughs> I can't remember another occasion where yeah. Undertaker lost not by pinfall, other than the yeah. two you've mentioned. So you, it's very possibly true. The uh, little, little, little count out at Survivor Series, 1990. 
Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, this is the first time that The Undertaker is made to look vulnerable. And it, I think, is another reason why the Mankind character works so well, is that The Undertaker and or Vince and or whoever was involved in deciding who won and lost matches and who booked the shows decided actually what we're going to do with mankind rather than just have him attack undertaker a couple of times and then have the undertaker beat him because we always need to protect the undertaker they kind of decided we're actually gonna have mankind beat him and in effect cleanly i know that Barrett hits undertaker with the urn but actually he's the idea is that he's doing it on behalf of the Undertaker as opposed to being sort of cheating for mankind. Yeah. So this, so it's actually effectively a clean win for mankind, and it just doesn't happen. Like there's just no point where that happens. You mentioned the the, the casket match. It took 12 people, I think it was, in the end, to help beat for Yokozuna to beat the Undertaker. Here, mankind does it on his own. And so you are in a position where nobody has been given this kind of credibility against The Undertaker before. And it worked really well because obviously Mankind then went on to be a very, very successful wrestler in the WWF over the next three and a half, four years. So, yeah, a really interesting one. Mankind's just being brought in here originally to be The Undertaker's latest monster of the week. That is what yeah. The Undertaker was doing. He was just, you know, whether it be Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, Yokozuna, uh, Kama, King Kong Bundy, Mabel, one of those people. Then suddenly Mankind's just the latest one, but his endures and would go on to be very, very successful. Well, I mean, you look oh, at that, man. look at that, that caliber of opposition then and talent. Then you look at McFoley and you're like, yeah, he's he's that much better than those guys. That we haven't got any choice but to do that. Is this before Mankind's match with Shawn Michaels at Mind Games? Yes, yeah, that's like a couple of pay per views time. Fuck me, that match is. I mean, we may cover it. Right, so, but that match is unbelievable. Yeah, he was in he was in fine form at the time. I think this is a good match. I'm not. I I don't go quite as mad for it as some will go for it. But I think it is a really good match. It's, I think the main thing that stands out, especially at the time, is just how much better it is than everything the Undertaker has done for the last three yeah. or four years. Yeah. Uh, and it is just that much better. And uh, as you say, it's the beginning of the Undertaker not just doing the matches he was doing before, which. Again, we're talking about Austin earlier on in the show where he's he's matching the style of wrestling now to his character. That's what The Undertaker was doing throughout this period. And so it is worth always sort of bearing that in mind is that he wasn't deliberately trying to be shit um, just for the sake no. of it. There is a <laughs> there is actually a reason that he was wrestling in the way he was. But for some reason, they decide now that his character can 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 go in a different direction in terms of what he does in the ring well it's interesting because i've just watched in the last week or so the broken skull sessions interview with the undertaker the first one and it's really interesting hearing him say that he would have to in matches he'd find himself getting excited wanting to start to run and hit the ropes and stuff like that and then have to pull it back a little bit and to some things in, in a large extent that's obviously kind of helped his longevity in his career you know by having those 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 like those slow paced matches at the beginning, but there, there's like an intensity and a quickness to which the Undertaker's working. And as what you said, old man, about Owen Hart saying about the desperation of the Undertaker, that really feeds into the match. And, and overall, I thought it was I thought it was a good job by all. Yeah, at one point in the match, Undertaker does old school, which presumably was just called school at the time. Mm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so just I just wanted to get that one in there before we move on. Oh, you little bugger. 
Uh, next up, backstage, Doc Hendricks interviews Mr. Perfect. Uh, Michaels, Shawn Michaels then confronts him and tells Mr. Perfect to call it down the middle, which Perfect says he's always said he will do uh, as they continue to ratchet up the drama ahead of the main event. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Mr. Perfect call it completely down the middle at WrestleMania 10 as well? It's just that he disqualifies a babyface for putting his hands on him. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's it's one of those things which is left kind of perfect does disqualify Luger for putting on it, put his hands on him. But at the same time, Mr. Perfect is clearly deliberately slow to make the count for when Luger has Yokozuna down beforehand. Mm. So it is controversial. But I do like the fact that in the match later on, they do reference wrestling. Yeah. Um, there's also the bits at the end where uh, Mr. Perfect says to Sean Marcus, you can't even spell collusion. <laughs> and then, then Doc Hendricks throws back to the commentary team of Jim Ross and, and Vincent Mann, forgets to, doesn't say Owen, to which <laughs> Owen takes great offence and calls him an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> There's three of us uh, on the commentary team, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Great stuff. Go on, Owen Hart. Rest in peace, good lad. Footage is then shown of Goldust giving uh, Ahmed Johnson the kiss of life as Johnson was being stretched out of the arena on a recent episode of Raw, I believe. They then have their match. It's a 15 and a half minute tussle and ends when Goldust Goldust is pinned after Ahmed Johnson hits the Pearl River Plunge. Uh, uh, Old man, let's start with you this time. So first of all, we have Owen Hart over the uh, after the video. He's like, that's textbook CPR. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like defending it. I was a bit conflicted watching this because I kind of forgotten a little bit about just how against the idea of gold dust being androgynous. Like everybody is Ahmed Johnson is very uncomfortable with his sexuality. Like <laughs> he's very very uncomfortable with it. Um this isn't very good. This is very Ahmed Johnson is bloody awful. Like absolutely awful. Like the man has so many pads on his legs. I'm not surprised he fucked his knees so many times because like he just can't seem to move. He's really taken the big E rule far too literally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't I don't want any bare legs. I need to put on as many knee pads as I can because <laughs> well I'm gonna get eviscerated on a podcast twenty five years from now because of the actions of Big E. Yeah. <laughs> You could see Ahmed Johnson as well, which is troubling because his pants are so tight. Um, this just isn't, it's, just, it's really not good. It's really long. And Ahmed Johnson is also very tired very early on. So Goldust has to put in an absolute shift. We get what everyone's here for. We get the snog and then the angry reaction from Ahmed Johnson. Um, the highlight of the match to be honest is Owen Hart attacking Johnson's small brain because he just keeps going on about his small brain we're getting to the end and then Ahmed Johnson pins him and it's not very good but the crowd they love Ahmed Johnson they absolutely love Ahmed Johnson and they always did and I could never ever get my head around it I don't know how you boys felt at this time but I remember first watching Ahmed Johnson thinking this guy's crap. Classic case of great push, great mm. presentation, always making him feel important. Just classic yeah. case of that's all you need to do. It's really yeah. that simple. I always thought of him as being a poor man's Adam Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that really is not saying a lot for the lad. No, it's not. I mean, yeah, it's not not very good, but Gold Dust is such a well put together oh. character that they just about get away with it. To be honest, without Gold Dust, well, without Gold Dust, this is a completely different thing. So it doesn't really make any sense what I'm about to say, but without Gold Dust, this is unwatchable because it would just be a man on his own having a wrestling match. Yeah. But, so without, without Gold Dust, Gold Dust versus Ahmed Johnson would be a shit match. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, not very good. Saw too much of Armour Johnson's deck. He's got an enormous back, which I need to point out. Owen Hart, MVP of the match. Get on to the next thing, please. The next thing is, of course, Tom, who now needs <laughs> yes. to give us his thoughts on the match. <laughs> so I tell you, I tell you, I was watching this, and I was like, "This is what I fucking thought." None of this, none of this, the natural dust in roads, bollocks, this <laughs> insipid. Oh, I want to be my dad, but I don't want to be my dad. Nonsense. Get in there, dress like a fucking Grammy, and start getting off with some fucking blokes. This is what I'm talking about. Amazing. I love gold dust. He's quality. He's works Amber Johnson's enormous back, as old man pointed mm. out, and gives him a little rub on the bubble. Yeah. Furious <laughs> Amber Johnson. But, and then Owen Hart comes out with an absolutely tremendous bit of commentary. Where he's obviously defending, he's defending uh, Goldust, certainly in time match. And he says, but in a match as important as the Intercontinental title match, I don't think there'd be time for fondling. I do that <laughs> after. <laughs> 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 They also, they also talk about the fact that he said a couple of weeks ago, Goldust, uh, Goldust kissed you and you weren't very happy about it. And he says, yeah, but then we talked about it afterwards, afterwards and hugged it out and it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's an audible scream from the crowd when Goldust gives Amber Johnson mouth to mouth, <laughs> which I thought was an extraordinary overreaction from someone in the crowd. <laughs> oh. Uh, it's it's fucking oh, the match is crap, but Owen Hart is magnificent in it. And I, you know, what, I will say the Pearl River Plunge. I've always been impressed by. I've always been impressed by a Pearl River Plunge. So. Yeah, <laughs> I've always been impressed by a double underhook powerbomb because it must be quite a difficult thing to do. So I don't yeah. know how you really gain the leverage to get them up. So yeah, um, but yeah, shit. The double underhook, it always feels like it'd be quite difficult to get them up. And then also he has to, he's a sit-out powerbomb as yeah. well. So, um, it's yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool move. I think um, I think Ahmed Johnson shows glimpses of being quite decent in this. Just at the beginning, kind of does, he does that quite messy-looking tope over the top rope. But the fact that he even does it, I think it's quite, quite impressive yeah. that he tried to get himself up there. I think this is overlong. It should probably be a lot less longer than this match uh there are huge sections in the middle there's one bit where gold dust traps johnson in a kind of um what you call it chin lock for about three minutes johnson almost gets out and then gold dust gets him in a sleeper hold for about three minutes then johnson almost gets out and gold dust puts him back in the sleeper for about three minutes and it is just wow this is so boring in the middle but there are bits that are quite good as you say the end the fans go mad for they really enjoy the fact that he's won and apparently ahmed johnson so later this year he would actually win a number one contender match for the world title against i believe it might even have been gold dust again and was due for a run in the main event with Shawn michaels for the world title at one point um but got picked up a, a legitimate injury or a illness i think with his kidney and therefore couldn't actually uh couldn't actually do it but uh yeah at one point they had big big plans for ahmed johnson as you can see here with his intercontinental title victory because i wow. didn't mention this is for the intercontinental title by the way yeah well and also there is a coliseum video exclusive just after this and he does get the old uh, Michael's rub, doesn't he? They have a little champagne. Lovely old job. Ahmed Johnson doesn't get it in his eyes like Gerald Briscoe when he's like selling it. Ah, my eyes. But uh, yeah, and then Shawn Michaels comes in, gives him a little hug. Might even pat him on the bum. Not sure. And then goes off. Doesn't bother him when Shawn Michaels does it, does he? No. Yeah, double standards. No, it's not double standards. Maybe he just fancy Shawn Michaels. Maybe he just never was interested in gold dust. I mean, let's be honest. This is about, this is about consent. All right. And if I <laughs> was happy for Shawn Michaels to do it, then that is perfectly fine. It's, what, it's the fact that Goldust did not have Ahmed's express consent. It's a fair point. Well made. 
and I can't argue with it. The the Shawn Michaels rub he was getting was from the beginning, really. He came in as Shawn Michaels' friend. And so, sorry, sorry, are we talking like the push rub or the bum rub? Let's talk about the push rub. And also, obviously, Shawn Michaels is joined by the Godwins and the Bushwhackers for the celebration. He's in esteemed company there, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> yes. He really is. Um, this is the best group of baby faces they can get together. <laughs> <laughs> Godwins and the Bushwhackers. I love it. Uh, next up, we get an, an advert for In Your House International Incident, which is due to take place in about a month's time. That's when we get the Coliseum Home video exclusive with the celebrations. And then Brian Pillman comes to the ring for an interview with Jim Ross. Now, this isn't I haven't got a great amount of notes here because I found this promo to be a bit odd. So I'll just pick out some bits and pieces that I did pick up on. So he says that he doesn't care about his own family. This is Pillman. Yeah. Um, he says that Brian Effin Pillman does and says what he wants. And he says he's the brightest star to ever step foot on God's green earth. He then says he's going to rape, pillage and plunder the entire Federation. Very strange. Felt like there was a lot of I'm going to say some things here just for effect because I'm supposed yeah. to be the loose cannon. Didn't really make a whole lot of sense. I wasn't overly taken with this. I hated this. This made me uncomfortable, to be honest, the stuff that he's talking about, because I he looks out of it as well. I know he's supposed to be like there's a loose cannon girl, but he looks like he's probably not in the best way. He makes a reference to Jeffrey Dahmer or Damer, the um, serial mm. killer as well. Horrible stuff. Yeah, really not nice. And JR looks about as uncomfortable as I think I've ever seen JR when he's doing it. He kind of, at one point, he kind of tries to get him back on track. And then I think he just has to give up because the sooner he's finished talking, the sooner they can, like, cut it short. Not nice. I don't care what you're trying to do. This is this is wrestling. This is people pretending to hurt other people, largely. Obviously, people do get hurt. You do not need to reference serial killers and rape. Just utterly pointless. Cheap heat in the cheapest sense. And yeah, not a fan. Not a fan. And also, because I was a bit like, ooh, you know, especially when we said about the rape, pillage and blunder bit, I was a bit like, ooh, that's a bit strong. And then they use it again later on mm. in the pay-per-view. Which, again, I thought was a really strange choice. Very odd. Uh, yeah, I wasn't particularly enamoured with this either. I think this is just WWF at the time dipping their toes, as I said earlier on, in the we're going more adult. We're going to try yeah. and be more shocking in general. But we are also not entirely certain, A, how to do it <laughs> in a way that really will resonate with people. And also, we're not really sure we absolutely certain we want to do it. Because mm. it does mean that we take away from being a family-friendly uh, product which is what we've been for a very long time now i think there's a general rule of thumb that when it comes to presenting some kind of entertainment just leave rape out of it <laughs> That's yeah yeah and i get the feeling that they just said like to your point tinky they just said to pillman just go out and have a chat mate and then he probably went back and they were probably like oh might have gone a bit far there but never mind we'll carry on because in like in a couple of months he's gonna have a gun so they are they evidently didn't really didn't really learn from it so then we get the final of the king of the ring and it is steve austin versus jake roberts in a match that lasts four and a half minutes uh austin hits the stunner for the pin to win the final and become the king of the ring let's start with talking about the match itself tom your thoughts 
again, there's not really much happens. It's, it's again, it's almost more of a glorified angle. Um, Austin kind of gets into the ring and then he tries to rip off uh, Jake's kind of bandages that he's got around his midriff, which he struggles with greatly. Yes. Um, and then Gorilla Monsoon comes down to check on Jake to see if the match wants to continue. To which Jake Roberts says, ah, yes. <laughs> He then hits Austin a couple of times, and Austin, to give him his credit, is bumping all over the shop for, for the punches. Yeah. But then very quickly hits with a stunner and wins the match. And that's about it. There's nothing really of consequence in, in the match, is there? No. I watched this. watched the show all the way through. And I made some notes at the end of this. I was like, this is bloody awful. What's going on? Like, what are they doing? And then I had a little think about it. And the, the next day, I was out for a little walk. And I was like, actually, you know what? So what you've got is you've got Jake Roberts, the veteran Jake Roberts, 41 years old. They get that in a couple of times, just in case you've forgotten. Well, Owen Hart disputes it. He says he's 91 at one point. <laughs> yes, he does, yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely. Go on, Owen. Yeah, and you've got this veteran who's found God, sorted his life out, apparently, and then you've got Austin immediately attacking him. And then, effectively, like Tom says, he bumps for him a little bit, Austin, and then he just beats him up, and then it's done. Roberts has given the chance to quit. After that point, Austin is still ruthless with him. It's a really, really well-put-together like little segment, I think, because it just shows Austin ruthlessly going, I need to get through you old man i don't care if you're injured you're in the way you represent the old guard as well which and also like let's be honest roberts is dispensable as well this isn't really gonna hurt him because he's not i don't think they really had any grand plans for him short to the point roberts old austin over lovely old job yeah i think it was you know obviously isn't a great match but i think it was exactly the business they should have been doing here Mm -hmm. roberts is injured already we know he's injured Austin's character is that he will exploit any opportunity to win matches. He doesn't care about anyone. So just he does exactly that, wins the match, and we're done with the King of the Ring tournament. And so I think it's fine. It plays exactly into the character and, as you say, isn't going to harm Jake Roberts. Uh, not that they had any major plans for him anyway, but it doesn't harm him. We know he's injured going in anyway. So there's no he's injured before the Vader match, according to the commentators. So when Vader then does the stuff he does and we see him backstage with the doctor, we know he's hurt. So there's no shame here. Does Roberts come down without his snake? No, he does bring the snake, but he brings it very, very gingerly. He's not holding it. Yes, fact, that's right. In fact, yes. he's dragging the snake yeah. to the, to the mm. ring, which is pretty rough as well. Yeah, well, especially because... At this time, WWE were using the like entrance way was cheese graters, so it's really unpleasant for the snake. Um, we then get the coronation of Austin. It's it's not really a coronation in truth. Doc Hendricks is stood up on the coronating platform, and Austin is then interviewed. Um, Austin then says a number of different things, which I will have played by this point in the break. No doubt. So I won't need to go through them all again. Um, But obviously, this is a pretty legendary uh, interview, which probably most people already know quite a lot about. And yeah, what what are what are thoughts? I'm not going to go through what he says because I don't think I need to. This is always referenced. It's like this is what made Austin because he says Austin 316 says I just whooped your ass like for the first time. And I was fully prepared to watch this and kind of shrug my shoulders and go. Hey, you know what? It's good, but it's just that soundbite. It's not. It's tremendous. It's really good. Really good. The way he admonishes Jake Roberts 
is amazing. And he says, like, get that guy out of my ring. And also, old devious Doc Hendricks, without his selling of what Austin says, I don't think it works as well. Because he sells it tremendously. Well done, Doc. Yeah. It's yes, yeah, the look, isn't it? He gives a look to someone off camera when he says, "I just yeah. kicked your ass." And they're like, "Was he allowed to see that?" There's a bit where the the fans start booing, and Vince McMahon starts talking over them, and Austin goes, "Ah, oh, piss off," which I quite, which I really enjoyed. And I fucking love the fact that he's not interested in the crane and the scepter and the throne and everything that I fucking love that he just walks off and just it's fucking it's amazing it's so good mm, I, I think it is I mean it's amazing you said get Roberts out of my ring in fact get him out the hell out of the WWF because I just proved without a shadow of a doubt that you have just don't have what it takes anymore yeah. I think it was amazing he talks about at some point he talks about him being in his like Jake Roberts in his prime and, and admonishes him for being nowhere near that or something something yeah. similar to that obviously the bit where he plays into jake roberts is so so called newfound religion it makes the whole jake roberts has found god character something that i've always found completely shit and not at all obviously not at all kind of true because he didn't i've always it, it makes it worthwhile it just yeah. makes it all worthwhile because mm. he this is this the, ultimately the austin 316 thing comes from it but he says before that you sit there and you thump your bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere and just the inflection he puts on all of that sentence. Mm. It's just perfect. It's like the arrival of... It really is the arrival of Steve Austin in the WWF. He's been there for six months before this, but it's been shit up to this point. But then he does this, and he's sort of saying, I'm here, and I'm I'm something special. And <laughs> You're going to know yeah. this from now on. It really is impressive. I want to, though, talk about this, because it's always a thing that WWF in particular reference as being the beginning of the rise of Steve Austin. And of course it is, but it's not like they knew it at the time. They didn't know what they had, even after this. At SummerSlam, two months later, he doesn't even appear on the main show. This is Steve Austin. This is the guy who's going to be your next big star. And they didn't. They had no clue. In fact, it isn't until Brett comes along and, and asks to work with him that Steve Austin is once again kind of spotlighted. It is ridiculous that Vince McMahon didn't just go, what have I just seen? Right, that's it. Straight yeah. to the top. It's the kingmaker of Brett Hart, isn't it? <laughs> the man, the absolute the man, the God himself. You can you can guess show you can only you can be so over until you get blessed by the God, then you only get so far. Well, and also like you were saying then thinking about like the Jake Roberts thing. It's like everyone should someone works with that you should like elevate each other. And Roberts elevates Austin because Austin's able to use like what he's been preaching to elevate himself. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that because from memory, they don't do fuck all with Austin after this. And I'm glad you raised it because I, I'd written it a bit further down on my notes. But yeah, it's, well, it's just weird, isn't it? How could you not watch that? But man is ringside and he's like, how could you not sit there and JR's there with him and go, that's fucking money. That's money. And they say like, oh, and then the next day at Raw, we turned up and people had Austin 316 signs and they still didn't strap the rocket to him. I don't think they even put him in a golf cart, to be honest. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they really yeah. didn't know what they had, even though they just seen that. Yeah. And so it does, it kind of, it's one of those classic things where WF's narrative is easier to make the narrative Yes. Oh, Austin made the made the promo. Then the signs turned up the next night on Raw, so we pushed him. That's not at all what happened. And no. I guess it's just a harder story to tell to say 
yeah, we saw the promo, but we didn't really make much of it until <laughs> Bret Hart came along and said, I'd like to work with Steve Austin because he's the best wrestler other than me, effectively, <laughs> in the company. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but yeah, magnificent, magnificent promo and really didn't disappoint, which you're, to your point, old man, I was con- concerned, thinking, oh, maybe mm. this will just be a little bit like one. Maybe the, the false narrative is that this was such an amazing promo, but it's not. That is an amazing promo. So just a little note before we get into the main event on devious Doc Hendricks. So I heard a story from him, I think it is. He was on Austin's podcast when it was just a podcast. Uh, he said that he was in contact with w- someone at WWE. I don't know who. And uh, he, um, yeah, he basically wanted in. And apparently Vince said, he's like, I tell you, you can come in as an interviewer, but you've got to cut your hair. And apparently that afternoon, Michael Hayes just went and got his hair cut, turned up the next day at WWE. And Vince was like, oh, I didn't think you'd actually do it. And effectively <laughs> well, had to get, like, kind of had to give him a go because he'd done what he challenged him to. And he was like, oh, yeah, I must be serious, pal. And Crazy Vince. I, yeah, and to be honest, he probably should have left it short because his hair's a fucking disgrace. <laughs> and I'm and I'm bold. So people in glass houses in that, but he's a disgraceful hair. Next up, we get footage of the previous match between Smith and Michaels in your house, Beware of Dog, when Michaels performed a German suplex with a bridge and both men's shoulders were down and counted to the mat by different referees. So this is in preparation for our main event, which is for the WWF title between Shawn Michaels and Davey Boy Smith. Mr. Perfect is due to be a special guest referee. We have Jim Cornette and Diana in the corner of Davey Boy Smith. And we have Jose Lothario in Shawn Michaels corner before the match gorilla monsoon tells fink to announce that mr perfect's official capacity in the match will be outside of the ring and earl hebner will in fact be the proper referee inside the ring the match lasts for 26 minutes and 24 seconds and ends when Shawn michaels hits an elbow drop from the top then hits the sweet chin music both refs earl hebner and mr perfect count the fall but owen pulls perfect out of the ring However, Hebner finishes the count and Shawn Michaels retains the title. Uh, Old man, what were your thoughts on this one? Before the match even starts, I don't know what happens, but Bulldog is absolutely fuming. Yeah. A fan. Like, he looks like he's ready to go. Diana is just stood there, not really knowing what's going on. I'm guessing that something was said about him or her, and he didn't like it. So the first half of this match is there's a lot of holds, a lot of, a lot of hugging going on. Um, I had some quite big concerns about Bulldog in this because he, to my point in the interview, was like, doesn't really seem to know what's going on for a lot of it. And you can you can also hear Michael's calling the match for a fair portion of it as well, which I noticed. Michael's is doing Michael's stuff. He is selling for the Bulldog all over the shop. Absolutely selling his little heart out. And to Bulldog's credit, he returns the favour as well with a couple of lovely little turnbuckle bumps. Both of them come out of this stronger, I think, because Michaels kicks out of a lot of Bulldog stuff, but Bulldog doesn't hit the running power slam on him, importantly. And then you get at the end, there's the beatdown because old Vader comes out. I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, I just thought it was it was a decent, it was a very decent match. I don't think it went above that. I think probably just for the first half being a bit slower paced. But I have to say that Michaels is fucking unbelievable. Tom. First of all, before Bulldogs having the argument with the crowd, Owen is standing on the NXT table. 
cheering yes. on the Bulldog, <laughs> slam me in hand, which is, which is lovely. You're right, the first kind of half of the match is very wrestly, is what I, what I put down. There's lots of hold me's, but lots of quite good chain wrestling and stuff like that. There's a couple of, like, like, like when they do the whole kind of, like, um, work in the arm and then doing flips around and stuff like that, they both can hold their own in that sense, and it's, it's actually quite impressive. I thought the Bulldog was, was really good in general. There's a nice, nice like, when uh, Michael skins the cat, and then gets Bulldog and a head scissors, which looks quite impressive. Because I don't think I'd probably, up and up to that point, I'd probably never seen that before. I've obviously seen it since, mm. but it was something that, that really seemed different and out of place in a positive way. Bulldog gets a lovely pile driver on Shawn Michaels. Which, yes. looking back on it now, I know that, I, and you know what, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with the pile driver not being utilised anymore because it is obviously quite a dangerous move, especially taking into context of what happened with Steve Austin like in a few years, in, in the following year. And stuff, I, I'm not surprised it was banned. But what, it did occur to me, I was like, it's mad that that didn't win more matches for most people. Do you know what I mean? Obviously yeah. did for, for um, you know, for um, Terry Funk, didn't he? he? used to use the pile driver and obviously so did, so did Jerry Lawler and a lot of other people. But it's mad that that just didn't immediately just annihilate people straight away. You're right about the bumps that Bulldog takes. He takes an absolutely bonkers corner bump at one point where yes. he, he, basically jumped, he basically hits it upside down. Uh, it's yeah. mad. And I didn't really enjoy the match for the most part, for the beginning part of it. But when the high impact moves comes in, it really kicks up a notch. And I thought really became quite impressive. The super kick that Michaels wins the match with is the worst super kick I've ever seen. <laughs> He's about three feet away from him when he hits it. It's awful. But then then obviously there's the, you know, the involvement of Moen. And then there's shenanigans at the end. So Owen gets involved. They start beating up HBK for a little bit. Then Ahmed Johnson comes in, gets involved, makes a save. Then Vader comes in. So you've got all of Camp Cornet in the ring attacking. And then Warrior comes in and makes a save. And the Warrior, the, the crowd, to be fair to them, are quite hot for the Warrior. Mm. They then celebrate in the ring with their arms in the air, with their back to the hard camera yeah. for a little bit. Which <laughs> is very odd. Um, overall, I thought it was I thought it was a decent match. I think Bulldog and, and, and Shawn Michaels are, are obviously both very, very good. But one thing that does bother me a little bit, especially about this era, Shawn Michaels, and I don't know if it's because of all the kind of backstage that we hear about his attitude and stuff, but I just can't buy him as a babyface, though. He's too arrogant, he's too cocky, he's too healy to be a good, believable babyface. Yeah. I think that's fair. He's also, he's too good. He's too good because I think he is so good that you can't like him. To your point, Tommy, as well, he knows how good he is. So it is hard. And I think that kind of comes across because, like, they, the crowd chant USA at one point, but... I don't think there is necessarily, even with all of the Camp Cornet stuff going on, that there is a clear, clearly defined babyface kind of heel dynamic until the beatdown. And when Ahmed Johnson, the pop for Ahmed Johnson, it's fucking oh, oh, real. And then when the warrior comes down, fucking hell, I'm going to shit myself it was so loud. <laughs> I was like, bloody hell, what's going on here? And obviously they set up the main event for International Instant, which is about four weeks later, by which time Warriors fucked off already. So Yeah, um, so I thought this match was excellent. I really, I was so impressed by this match. And I think, you know, to your point about it starting off slow, that's what makes it great because you have to mm. you have to set the baseline. Otherwise, when you get to the big stuff, it doesn't mean as much. Yeah. But when it did get to the big stuff, my goodness, did it mean a lot. It was mm. fantastic. They did, throughout the match. This is about the best paced match. One of the best paced matches I think I've ever seen because they start basically these quite fast paced exchanges and then do a period of rest hold type stuff. And then they do another ex- uh, set of exchanges 
then they do some more rest hold but each time the rest hold period is shorter and the exchanges are more impressive so Mm. as the match goes on it feels like it's getting faster and faster and faster and more exciting and more impactful all the way through just caught me completely off guard by how much i was invested by the last five minutes i was like this is so good I, i was completely blown away by it i think both of them there's a bit at the beginning where they do one of the exchanges and they sort of meet in the middle of the ring and stop for half a second and it feels like oh something's gone wrong but they rectify it so quickly that it's barely noticeable and then after that they get nothing wrong they get all of their big moves in Dave Boy Smith as you say does that flip into the corner Michaels does his flip as well into the corner at one point in the match the bit where they're outside after Shawn Michaels skins the cat and head scissors Davey Boy Smith out he then does a hurricane runner which is probably quite rare at the time I don't think you saw many hurricane runners back in those days just excellent just all the way the bit where Davey Boy Smith goes to do a side suplex off the top rope but Shawn Michaels turns it into a crossbody there's just so much to like about the match I just think it is so good the end is a bit silly because um I don't really understand why you have to have the Mr. Perfect thing I just don't really get it doesn't make any sense to me I get why they wanted Mr. Perfect to be there to kind of Mm. make it look like the odds were stacked against Shawn Michaels. I think that makes sense. But why they then felt the need to pull Owen to for Owen to pull Mr. Perfect out of the match afterwards, don't get it. And I don't think it fed into anything else afterwards either. So it just didn't make any sense to me. But the match itself, I thought they had a blinder here. I really did think this was very good. I was not suspecting this, expecting this to be as good. And it really was impressive. I really liked but it. We've now watched in the last month or so two absolutely cracking David Boy Smith matches. Yeah. And it yeah, just yeah. like re- really like I remember when he came back and he was wearing his jeans and he wasn't in a particularly good way, but he was still having decent matches. He was still able in the state he was in to have decent matches. Like watching these back, you realise just how good he was. I do think at this point I could have had a decent match with Michaels. Probably still could, to be fair, because I'm pretty, I'm in pretty good shape at the moment. I reckon I'd probably take him as well. But yeah, it's just yeah, nice. nice. Well, I wanted to address that because I think people especially because of what Bret Hart says about SummerSlam 92 and the suggestion that he led him through the match and really Mm. held all the match together. And I think there's probably something to be said for David Boy Smith not being the kind of talent who can lead a great match and make it great. But to be able to go at the either the the speed that Michaels likes to go which might which David Smith does during this match all the way through or at the technical quality um of Bret Hart for example through a match as David Boy Smith does in this match and in the match of SummerSlam 92 requires a heck of a lot of talent regardless of yeah. whether or not you can lead the match yourself whether you've got that brain and if you haven't got that brain that's just one of the different attributes you need and he if he can be led in a way like this even when we look at the Vader match again completely different type of match completely different thing that they're going for but again absolutely just is able to do it exactly what he's supposed to do i think he's a very underrated talent and i will include myself as underrating him from the past mm. like i i'm really starting to get a view of how much i like david Boy smith and the matches he's had because even the match we saw at wrestlemania 7 with the warlord i was much more higher on that match than i had previously oh, was, ever been that was a great match it was much was better than i match. than i ever could have imagined it being so mm. yeah i really really um I'm kind of changing my opinion on on his quality overall. 
Speaking of overall, it is time to look back and decide what our overall thoughts are on the show, our ratings out of 10, and our MVP of the show. Let's start with you, Tom. It's a, this is a tough one, actually, because looking at the, the matches that we have on, on here, there's a couple of matches that are really short. There's one that's really shit. There's a good main event and, and, a, and a decent, uh, de- a very good match with Undertaker and Mankind. So I'm going to give this a 6 overall i'm gonna give my match of the night to mankind versus the undertaker my favorite match of the night and my mvp this is a difficult one because everything kind of tells me it should go to austin because of you know the impact of that promo and then what subsequently happened admittedly later after WWE pulled their fingers on their ass i also wanted to give an honorable mention to gold dust just because of him not being Dustin Rhodes anymore. <laughs> I didn't want to give it to him. But I've got to give it to Owen. My, my favourite thing consistently for the pay-per-view is Owen Hart's commentary. Go on, Owen. That's Brett Hart would say. <laughs> Sounded more like Dave Boy Smith. Well, the thing is, though, see, Brett Hart says... Oh, uh, go on, Owen, you bastard. I don't know what that sounded like. <laughs> yeah, that was a fucking Sean Bean, wasn't it? <laughs> Brett Hart says Owen, doesn't he? That's how he pronounces Owen. So that's why I said that. But I can't do the rest of it. So go on, Owen. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, much like Tom, it's kind of a weird one, this, because I was, apart from the tag match, which, to be fair, I wasn't bored during the tag match. I was just a bit confused as to what was going on. I think without the stupid interview in the middle, I would have probably nodded off during that tag match. But at least that broke up. Never bored during the show. It's going to get a six from me as well, because I I don't think on match quality, as much as I was never bored, I don't think on match quality it can get any higher than that. My match of the night is also Undertaker Mankind, because, purely because of the end, really catching me off guard. Really, really catching me off guard. It was a close run thing between the opener and the main event can have honorary mentions, which we don't do. I was going to go for Owen Hart as the MVP as well, but I feel like it would be churlish to go for both of them. So I will go for Doc Hendricks's hair being <laughs> MVP <laughs> because it is tremendous and is wavy. So he's got little like waviness to it that when you see him with long hair, it doesn't have. Incredible. I have given this a 7 out of 10, and I think I've mainly based that on the fact that I I like the main event much more than you guys do, I think. And uh, I did, I was probably on on the 6 until the main event, and the main event just swung it for me because I just thought it was so good. And the overall show, like there is, the main event, the opener, and The Undertaker versus Mankind are all very good. Everything else is either forgettable or or rubbish, um, and that's fine. You can't have everything, can't be great usually occasionally it can but more often than not it's not mm. and when you have the quality of the main event in my my eyes anyway it doesn't really matter i just thought the main event was just so good my mvp is going to be austin um i actually was going to give it to owen hart before you mentioned him in your <laughs> summary tom and then uh, and then i thought actually yeah we shouldn't really forget steve austin so i'm going to change mm. it to steve austin for the match that he puts on with mark marrow old uh old wild tan mark marrow uh yes. and, um and of course the promo which is just ultimately the promo made probably millions of dollars in the end yeah so uh you can't really overlook that stuff uh but yeah i thought a, a better show than i imagined this was going to be overall and a really great main event a really very good opener and a very decent uh, match between mankind and undertaker so uh, on the whole a very positive experience for me yeah and an enormous amount of denim and an enormous amount of denim. Yeah. Yeah. So before the game, 
because that's what's up next. Just a little yeah. Just a little request from us to rate and review the pod. Uh, obviously, we always we always uh, encourage you to give us five star. But as we've said before, six star in the Tokyo Dome. Um, yes. And just write that as well. If that's what you want to write as a review, yeah. we'll be very, very happy. So the game. And it is my turn to uh, provide the task that you guys have got ahead of you today. So what we're going to do today, we are in 1996. I think this is the first show we've ever covered from 1996. And so I'm going to go with, I have made a little bit of a list of the wrestlers that had the most matches in WWF on television during 1996. And when I say on television, I'm also talking about pay-per-views too. So I've got the top 50 in front of me, and I'm asking you to name any of the top 50 members of the roster to have had, they have to have had six matches or more on television over the course of 1996 on WWF television. So uh, a a, a suitable challenge, I think you'll agree. Um, Let's start with, I think, given that he has the lowest overall score at the moment, we'll start with Tom. Okay, um, Austin. Indeed, 47 matches for Austin. He was the busiest wrestler on television of 1996 in the WWF. David Ladd Smith. David Ladd Smith, 44 matches, was the Ooh, second lovely. second busiest wrestler of the year in 1996 on television. Um, the Heartburn Kid. <laughs> Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, the 10th busiest, only 31 matches for old Shawn Michaels, but yes, he is absolutely in the top 50. Maybe slacker. Uh, Big Van Vader. Vader, uh, number eight, with 34 matches. How many did you say six matches? Six or more matches. Brett. Brett Hitman Hart. Let's see if we've got Brett the Hitman Hart. This is a this is a bold move from you. Um, yes, 31st, 14 matches. Yeah. Lovely old job. Uh, I'll go Wild Tan Mark Marrow. <laughs> Wild Tan Mark Marrow, number six, 39 matches. Uh, the Undertaker. Undertaker, 25 matches, number 17. Mankind. Mankind, 26 matches, it's number 16. My love, my brother Owen. <laughs> 41 matches, number four. Gold Dust. Gold Dust, 38 matches, number seven. Uh, Ahmed Johnson. He is 23rd place, 21 matches. Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn, yes, number 14, 27 matches. Bark Gunn. <laughs> I was going to say, if he doesn't go for Bark Gunn now, he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> 29 matches, so two more than Billy, uh, number 12. Uh, Triple H. Triple H, 42 matches, number three on the year. Oh, I tell you what, right? The Sultan. What do you do? Why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> Why do you always make these really weird <laughs> decisions so early? He's in there. Um, <laughs> in fact, he had 20 matches over the course of 96. And I imagine, and to be honest, <laughs> I imagine might, some of them might have been as fat too as well. Oh, well. Oh, karma? Oh, I think you may, uh, may, be, may be making a mistake here, mate. Oh, I couldn't. I can't. I'm afraid karma is not on the list of the top 50. Yes! Yes! The crowd to go. Oh, finally, the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest ranked man in the game finally gets the win. And I had loads more in the, okay. the chamber as well. Well, give them then. Let's see what we got. Okay. Aldo Montoya. Aldo Montoya is definitely there. 22 matches, 22nd position. Uh, Sparky Plug, Bob Holly. Mm. Bob Holly, 16 matches, number 30. Uh, Razor Ramon. 
Razor Ramon indeed is there. He is in. He is in 46th place. Seven matches. Diesel as well. Eight matches. 43rd place. Um, I also had, um, this is where it gets me fuzzy. I was at the Body Donners, Skip and uh, Zip. So Skip had 24 matches on the year, 19th place. And Zip, or Tom Pritchard, as I've got him listed, was 13th place with 28 matches. The Godwins. The Godwins, indeed. So uh, Henry is ninth with 34 matches and Phineas 10th with 32. Uh, I think this is where I'm scraping the bar. I also, there was another, oh, um, TJ, no, what's his name? Plumber. <laughs> was, he, was, the fucking, was he in there? TL Hopper. TL Hopper, the plumber, yeah. Number 40, 10 yeah. matches. Yeah. And the, the Goon. The Goon, yeah. Nine matches, 41st place. This, this, is, this is your... Uh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is good. Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's there, but I'm going to have to... Yeah, there he is. I just see him. 14 matches, 34th place. Yeah. Um, Savio Vega. Savio Vega, yes. The highest you haven't got yet. Fifth place, 41 matches. Yeah, And this is where I'm kind of starting to draw a blank now. Okay. Oh, Leaf Cassidy. Yes, yeah, so Avatar or Leaf Cassidy, otherwise known as Al Snow, 23 matches, and he is in 20th place. Yeah, and that's where I'm going to Is draw Is Isaac Yankum there? No, he was no five, wasn't he? So Isaac Yankum is there. Oh, really? Because I'm taking it as fake. Isaac Yankum and the fake Diesel, 16 mm. matches. Damn it. Old Isaac Yankum, fake Diesel. Although, to be fair, Tommy would have wiped the floor with me. So I'll give you the rest of them. We have at number 50, the Ultimate Warrior with six matches on the year. Uh, next up, 48th and 49th, Luke and Butch of the Bushwhackers. Oh. 47 is Rocky Maivia, seven matches. Ah. Ah, smile. <laughs> 45th <laughs> was Double J, Jesse James, the Road Dog, obviously. Eight oh, matches. Oh, do you know what? I did think of the Road Dog, actually. Uh, 44th was The Stalker, or Barry Windham, as uh, you guys might better know him, in eight matches. Number nine was Tatanka, nine matches at the beginning of the year. Uh, 30, sorry, not number nine, nine matches. 39th, Fake Razor Ramon, 10 matches. Mm-hmm. 38th, 1-2 Free Kid, 12 matches at the beginning of the year. 37th, Salvatore Sincere, 13 <laughs> matches. What a guy. 36, Crush, with 13 matches. 35th, Alex Pug Porto. 14 matches. Pug out. <laughs> 33 was Jerry Lawler with 14 matches in the year. Uh, Farouk, 32nd, 14 matches. So when he came with the amazing helmet on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 29th, Freddie Joe Floyd, 16 matches. You might know Freddie Joe Floyd better as former FBI member Tracy Smothers. Yeah. 27th, Yokozuna, 16 matches. 26th, Barry Horowitz, 18. 25th, Sid, 19 matches. Then we've got 21st, Marty Gennetti, 22nd. Fucking hell. 32 matches, sorry. 18th, Jake Roberts, 25 matches. 15th, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, 27 uh-huh. matches. Uh, and I think that might be everybody. Yes, that was the lowest one you had didn't have. It's 15th place, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Well, that's no standard effort by Tommy. That Thank was, you very much. That was very, yeah. very good indeed. So, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Tom. You are the winner of this week's game. And uh, that wraps everything up. Can we we just ask how how Tom's going to celebrate? Bit of England this afternoon. (laughs) So apologies. Yes, we we are recording this two weeks in advance. So if England went out of the European Championships in the meantime, really sorry about that. (laughs) I'm going to start a reminder. 
Yeah, I'm going to watch England either have a lacklustre draw, loss or win. Either way, yes. lacklustre. Well, England. Um, so, yes, on that note, uh, thank you very much, old man, for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. It's been lovely coming back home to 1990s WWF, safe in the knowledge that we will always remember Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you very much for your contributions today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that. And that's not all for also not forget who the fucking winner of the game is. It's me. <laughs> He's fucking delighted by that. It's the best thing to say. Yes, yes. That's all of his Christmases have come at once in his mouth. <laughs> oh, piney. It's, it smells like piney. Ah, loaded in his mouth. Horrible. That Very is... old Christmas tree cock smith, they call him. That is all we've got time for today, but we'll be back once again next week. Until then, take care.